Hello, everybody, and uh, let's exit to port. It is currently the 23rd of May, 1931, Central European Summertime. And uh, I join you from uh, very warm northern Norway. Well, I say very warm. Warm compared to what we usually have. The snow is gone from the ground that's still left in the mountains. But it is now the time of the midnight sun. And speaking of sun of the midnight, uh, Mr. Grumbles is here as always. <laughs> oh wait, I'm not playing a vampire right now. <laughs> hello. Hello, hello, hello. And as uh, probably the title and everything in front of you, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, tells you, we have a guest with us. Mr. Bloke of Stats, welcome in to Exit Report. Time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> It, it is actually uh, truly a joy to uh, to have you here. I've been um, I've been wanting to have you as a guest since pretty much the start of the podcast, and uh, so being able to sit down and have you as a proper guest here uh, feels very good. And um, I'm I'm pretty sure our listeners pleasure. are in agreement. Absolute pleasure. I mean, like you guys keep me um, once every now and again. You keep me company on a dog walk, so uh, I I really really enjoy what you guys talk about and just just sitting listening to you guys chatting to each other it doesn't really matter what you're talking about it's just a really nice experience so um so thank you for making the podcast well that's very kind compliments will get you a long way in this podcast <laughs> you're yeah, not wrong. I'd, just like, I'd just like to clarify that the reason you haven't been on is not because i was resisting it in some way i just want to make sure that's said because tiger was so clear about i've wanted you on since forever so i no. think i just say that no no no, no. yeah the guy no, no no we we it's just finding a good time to bring guests on where oh, yeah. we don't have a lot to talk about already and and so on and and finding a good topical conversation we can all have and it, it's never been a doubt in my mind that we're going to have a good conversation so uh Without further ado, let's just jump right into it, because I have a feeling there's going to be plenty to talk about. And for the first time, I might even have to do some um, some rather severe editing. I don't know. We'll see. On screen, you will all see uh, uh, topics, and it should all be also be listed uh, in front of you if you hear us on... Hear us? If you hear us. Wow. There's my Norwegian brain kicking in. If you listen to us on Spotify or other places where podcasts are available, you should see the topics. And while we were having our editorial meeting... Hey. hey. I got to do an editorial meeting. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the ball quickly got rolling on on topics to talk about. And, uh, and since we're all World of Warships players and streamers, it wasn't, it, it wasn't long before we had plenty of topics to talk about there so let's uh let's just start at the top and then work our way through because there's plenty happening in the world of warships um there's a lot of communication coming out of uh wargaming and also lesta and mostly with the roadmap of what they want to do in the future a lot of people are 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 looking forward to that and there was a recent um what is it they call that? That under the waterline or something with Bugsy and Askance? Um, yeah, waterline. Yeah, waterline. Uh, where they talked a bit about upcoming things and also recent uh, official streams have also talked about upcoming features and, and things they want to do uh, or are looking to do, not just want to do. And one of the things that popped up was the beginner experience. And, and that is certainly something that we've all touched on. 
as we sat down with World of Warships for the first time. We have now played for quite some time, and, in, and the game has evolved significantly, at least since I started. And I think that also goes for the both of you two. So let's, let's just start with, with stats. The beginner experience, what was that like for you? so hard to remember and I, th I think that's part of the problem is that when particularly content creators but just anyone who interacts with the community and is like you know commenting on youtube videos about world of warships or is joining into twitch chat and reddit and things like that experienced players forget what it was like and so someone will come in and, and ask what probably gets interpreted as a stupid question but actually it's a really sensible question because that information just is, might not be available and so, you know, I've been starting to do recently these um, tutorial streams where once a month I'll, uh, I might do it more, more often than that actually, but once a month I'll, I'll say, right, okay, today is just about teaching. You can ask me anything you like about the game and I'll try and help you. And some of the questions that come up are really interesting. I, I think a lot of experienced players, because I've got a really lovely community who mm -hmm. aren't going to um, jump on anyone for asking an um, apparently stupid question. And so everyone's really super helpful. And I think a lot of my viewers find it really interesting when someone pops up and says, asks a question which um, shows that they fundamentally don't understand something that's really, really core to the game, mm. like overmatch or how to avoid being deleted mm. or how to like how to get the markers up on the minimap, how yes. to get the health bar above the ships, because that stuff isn't default. And I think players who've been playing for a long time forget that it's not default information and forget that it's not in the game. How and do I give... see the ships on the side and everything? Yeah. yeah. How do you? Why? Why do you have the killed ships on your minimap? How do you get the? Seriously, like, how do you get the health bars above the ships? These mm. are really common questions, mm -hmm. and they shouldn't be. There's no reason why that should be hidden. And I understand that Wargaming's design approach is try to keep it as clean as possible. So that by default, there's not that much information being thrown at the player. Um, but some of that stuff is really, really important. Because by default, you forget. Like, by default, the game doesn't show you what the ship is that you're looking at. Yeah. So you, you see a ship across the map, and it's just a ship with a, with a health bar without any numbers on it. That's true. And it, it's, it's not going to say, you know, like, this, the battleship is this and, and whatever, and the player name. So and, mm -hmm. and you have to hold alt by default to see that. Yeah. And some people just don't realize that's a thing. And it's like fundamental. And and so I, I would the first thing I would just say is just give people an easy time if they ask questions like that, because you might have forgotten what it was like. Definitely. Um, and it's a really interesting experience to go through, because a, a couple of years ago I made some tutorial. I started to make some tutorial videos and then Wargaming started to change everything with the UI. And so I oh. stopped. But yeah, well, it, it seems like every time I try and make a tutorial, they change something. Um, but um, which is a good thing. Like, I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't change things for the better, but it, the timing sucks, you know, in terms of my content. But um, have, so, have we just accidentally unlocked the magic solution to making war games? Yeah, me to make tutorials and, 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 <laughs> and war to fix their UI. Just get stats to start making tutorial videos. It, it also works. It also works, by the way. If you want a tier, if you think a tier ten is too strong and you want it to be nerfed. All I have to do is get to the tier 10, and it immediately gets nerfed. <laughs> <laughs> happens. I'm like, oh, cool, Henri's like totally overpowered. I'm going to get to, oh, they've nerfed it. <laughs> I like Every the idea time. that you got you crowned up to yeah. the Petro. So I'm just they warning you, it. just warning you, I'm about to buy a Ragnar. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, come on, man. I love that ship. <laughs> so he's just going to get hit with a nerf pack. I'm sorry. Oh. I, think the, I think the request from the audience is already obvious, right? Can yeah. you please grind out the Nahimov? Uh, yes, <laughs> please. You please buy uh, in the pro- uh, in German. <laughs> in progress. So, yeah, so yeah you, you mentioned a lot of really good points there. And, and I think a lot of the reactions from people in-game is because they take a lot of things for granted. Like, you ask a question in-game, and a lot of these people that take for granted that people know about how high explosives work, or how how armor-piercing works, or so on. And then it's like, oh, just uninstall, noob. You know, that's the that's the common answer. But I think Honestly, we also... I think in, in-game is probably not the best place to get No, help. no, 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 no. Yeah. But we also see the opposite problem on... Well, not necessarily opposite, but a, a similar sort of problem when asking in a Twitch chat. Unless the person you're asking is very aware of what it's like to have that information overload, they are going to unload everything. Like, they're going to start at completely wrong place to explain the basics and how to learn them and what to look for. And suddenly, you're going to be sitting there talking about... Like overmatching and 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 and, and, and the millimeter really strength of armor on on the bows of different ships and so on that is just going to completely overload a new player. Yeah, and that we're doing these tutorial sessions, um, something that I try and avoid happening is exactly that. And so you know, you get someone who's a like a beginner. They say like, I've been playing for a week. Mm. Like, okay, cool. Um, and they they're asking like, how do I choose like whether I fire HE or AP or SAP? And the answer to that question for a brand new player, for most people, probably shouldn't be going into like the exact details of how pen works and how AP, you know, like re- like um, how the AP moves through armor and like mm. deflects slightly and all this kind of stuff. Like you just don't need that level of information. You just need some really basic generalizations. And if someone in my chat starts to give them all that detail, I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Because you're going to scare them off if they're like if they're anything like me, then they're just going to get information overload and run away. Yeah. What they really need is just the basic information, and then they can build on that as time goes on. Grumbles, what was your beginner experience? Oh wow! All the way back to close beta. Um, it was. Uh, it was. I remember it just being a lot of fun. I was just very very excited, like that kid level of excitement to play the game because. I think it, one of the things without realizing at the time was I was escaping World of Tanks. And uh, <laughs> this was just so so fresh and different. But I think that to, maybe to some degree that it was a lot simpler. There wasn't as many elements to the game. There wasn't as many... Um, like, you still had to learn the core mechanics as they were back then. Mm. Um, but there weren't as many ships. It wasn't as overwhelming. And... What I remember distinctly is it didn't take me long to bump into a few people that I just sort of had fun with and and sort of div up and whatnot and uh, get chatting. And uh, and what we ended up doing most of the time was not really grinding too much and just playing, like, especially once we got to, like, the Clemson. It was like, that was, like, the most fun ship. We had the Ubaris <laughs> that we'd bought into the game with, and, the Clemson, and it was just, like, just playing those ships just over and over and all those little maps. Um, so I had a lot of fun, um, but I know all too well the things that you guys were talking to. I, I see the same thing, and I we talked about this a lot when I used to play regularly. 
um, uh, a lot on NA and that, and, and the difference of the experience going from EU to NA and seeing the, the development over a few years. But uh, we used to talk about this quite a lot with, with the whole, you know, how do people know when they pick up this game and play it? What what the heck's even going on? Because there isn't really a, a solid tutorial. There isn't really a solid explanation. Like, the things are kind of there. Some things are a bit buried and, and really badly hidden. Other things are there, but you don't tend to... They don't really sink in. You know, it's like you, a screen flashes up and you you move up a level or whatever it's called, and you're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Mm. And, then you, and then you say, hey, where can I get rid of the screen and get back to the next battle? Um, clumsily kind of fumbling a ship around and, and kind of learning by doing sort of thing but i've always been a very learning by doing kind of person so i don't mind that but i can i i think also the influx of players and the huge player base now i don't know the exact numbers but it's it's enormous compared to where it was back then um i think that they they've kind of missed uh they've missed a trick definitely there on on helping players um really understand the game not to the extent of being like you know in air quotes professional or like you know uh, super good or competitive, whatever, but just even some of the basics. We've had a bunch of people start up in the community over the last couple of years as well, and especially in the last, uh, you know, 12 months. And people have been uh, kind of like coming back and like, you know, like Stats was saying, asking the simple questions. And mm. likewise, we have the, a community that's very open and, and willing to share all that knowledge. And there's no real shouty people uh, that are regulars with us. So, so it kind of works, but you can imagine how it's not quite so easy. Um, generally and of course the twitch population on this uh, on the overall player base isn't uh, necessarily all that high so twitch can only do so much i think there's definitely a gap there for some good old tutorials but, you right. know as long as they don't move the goalposts every two minutes negating your videos five minutes later i, I think i think world of worships has been lucky with uh, with the twitch community because most of the channels out there are new player friendly in the way that they can ask a question without being being overwashed with information or laughed at. I I don't think that there are many channels out there that would do that. So so in that way, the game itself and and wargaming have been really lucky to have Twitch on their side. Mm. Because I <laughs> here, here's the thing, I think the community has done more for tutorials and helping new players than the company itself has which i find i mean you, you could think okay maybe someone in leicester has is thinking well you know the the third party community is doing this for us so we don't need to put any any money into it um but the percentage of the player base that engages with youtube videos and, mm -hmm. and podcasts and twitch streams and stuff about world of warships is probably tiny i'd love to know what the percentage is but it's probably tiny mm. um because most the vast majority of players um, you know, they log in for like two hours on a Sunday after the kids have gone to bed and they've, you know, had their dinner. Mm. And they, you know, they play their, you know, five, six games and then that's it. They're done for the week. That's like, the, that is the normal player. Mm -hmm. And and the people who engage with community content aren't normal players in that sense. No. It's, it's a very atypical experience that they're having. And so Wargaming, it, it just, I, I don't understand their approach because um, I had it described to me once. I can't remember where I got it from, unfortunately, but... Think of a bucket, um, so a free-to-play game is like a bucket with a hole in the bottom. Yeah. And new players are being like like water being poured into the top of the bucket. And there's a hole in the, the bottom and, and players who've got fed up with the game or bored or moved on or whatever are, are falling out through the bottom of the bucket. And the game's health is determined by the difference between how much water is coming in the top and how much water is going out of the bottom. 
And if you've got more going out of the bottom than coming in the top, your game's going to die. Yep. And and so you need to try and do everything you can to pour as many in the top, which is just basically advertising. And then you need to try and keep as many players in that bucket for as long as possible. Because the longer in the bucket, the more they're going to spend money on your game. And one of the things that you can do to tighten that hole at the bottom and stop the water flowing out is give the players a good experience, especially when they start playing the game. And so it just, I don't understand why Wargaming, like literally, if you look at the, the new player experience as it stands right now, you have a, in Verticomus one tutorial, mm. which isn't really a tutorial, it just teaches you how to drive forwards into a cap and then shoot something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't teach you anything about any game mechanics. And then there's a bunch of actually quite good videos. So so now they've got the How It Works series, which are actually really good to give them credit. But they're in the they're hidden in the access levels and they're not really easy to to get to. Um and then they're hidden in the escape menu. So you press escape and then there's a list of videos you can get to. And like again, during my tutorial streams, I've shown that screen many, many times where you press escape, you press a video tutorial button, um, and this list pops up of all these YouTube videos. And I've had even experienced players go, oh, I didn't know that was there. <laughs> yeah. Like, just, it's not hard. <laughs> like, just put it somewhere a bit more obvious, like, like feed the player gradually. And yeah. the, 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 the gradual part there is so key because something that I've talked about several times is information and, and saturation that goes on in the game. Like, they, they, they pour too much on for what goes on in the game and it kind of overshadows all these wonderful small little things that they do because but the answer to that but i think their answer to that is don't give the information at all <laughs> so not? so i think they think that they've said many times like when um when carriers were were changed to rts to to um action style mm. one of the things that they said was well we don't want you to control the ship at the same time like you used to be able to because it's too much for one person to handle like okay fair enough that you could argue that but I think that's their approach as a whole, is we don't want to give too much information to the player because this is an arcade game mm. and it is not what it's about. But like, there are ways that you can give it, give that information to the player without overwhelming them. You know, like oh, yeah. put it in the UI, but let the player explore it in their own time. But it's just not there. Even reward them for exploring it. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I know other games that do that and... And I, I've played other games that do that, and, and, and I've kind of gone, wait, whoa, 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 I'm getting a reward for doing this? I want to learn. I want to learn this then. How, how do I do this? And, and I actively go and seek out the information, and I sit there and go, uh-huh. And I get to try it out, and then the game goes, hey, here's a reward for doing this. Ooh, cool. Let me learn the others. You know? But only after I've proven that I actually know it. So there has to be kind of a balance there, I, I feel, but... <laughs> And, and I feel the beginner experience really highlights something that I just thought about, like just now, because I see our next topic here, and that's the Italian destroyers. The beginner experience for me should be about giving you access little by little and ensuring that you're, you're kind of on the ball before you move on to something bigger and more complicated and the different mechanics, let's say SAP versus AP and, and HE. Like, like explaining these things to you in a way so that you know that when you pop up in a ship with SAP, like the Italian destroyers, you know how to use it well. Well, maybe not well, but at least you know the basics of it so that you can start doing the whole learning by doing process. 
because of the learning by doing process. I my my player account is still suffering from my learning by doing process <clears throat> battleship startup. Um and 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 I'm still trying to unlearn some of those things that that kind of happened to me through my beginner experience where I saw the battleship, I saw the guns and I thought this is what I want to focus on and I'm I'm penalized for that even to this day. So the 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 trickle information, oh, it needs to be on point. It needs to be on point and I and I think honestly, if they teach players in a better manner to not focus fully on just one line for instance with battleships because then you're gonna burn in a cruiser you're gonna get slapped in a destroyer and that's gonna help them keep those players a whole lot more like you talked about the water in water out kind of situation yeah exactly i think they need to um make sure that there's a balance between not being too restrictive so something like you just talked about for example they could restrict you from playing you know too many battles in a certain class without having played the other classes i don't think that's a good idea because then the player might feel too restricted and leave because they don't can't do what they want to do mm. which is play the big gun battleships which is what most players want to do um which is why there's so many battleships in the queue that's just something i think you have to let happen naturally um but yeah there are definitely like guided pause that they could do they could definitely drip feed the information they for experienced players they could definitely add some more information into the um into the ui like my favorite one to pick on is ap overmatch yeah um why on earth is ap overmatch because it's it's not like it varies it's like it's one value like he pen is one value there's no reason why that shouldn't be in the ui under the ap shell listing just like it is for he shells and sap shells yeah so, so I, I just i don't get it so i'm ho really hoping that the stuff that's on their roadmap um, turns out to be something like that. Speaking of roadmaps, it, it, yeah, it, sorry, it, go, ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to add one. One silly little idea popped into my head. Uh, was well, actually two two points quickly. One is they have as you're loading in, you've got the team screens, right, and then you've got an awful lot of screen space which isn't really used. It's used for these pretty maps, uh, pretty pictures now, which I, you know, they're nice. And then you've got this other screen, this tab or whatever you can choose to click on that most people are pretty early on click off of because they want to look at the team sheet. Now, who doesn't? Where they've got tutorial information. Why don't they just take some of that information, break it up a little bit and put it either side of the team sheet or something or above or below it? Don't send near a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because like there's some probably some useful hints or reminders in there that might help new players, that, especially casual players that might, you know, pop on, pop off, a, uh, pop back a month later, that kind of thing. Might be good just to give them a quick reminder or even they might learn something new that's just come in. Hey, SAPs are arrived on these destroyers. This is what it does or this is the difference kind of thing in a nutshell. That'd be one thing. And the other thing I think they should do is, um, you know, they've done these good videos, as you said, stats. I think they've got to make it fun. It would be kind of cool if, like, during a battle, say you hovered over something and it's, say, the first time you've used it or you're not sure. It'd be kind of cool if there's something you could interact with, like, you know, like, want to learn more or something. Like, say you could right-click it or middle mouse button or something. And then when you get out of the battle and go back to port, maybe it pops up with a link to the video for that item. That Sorry, might be a bit too complex, but... Yeah, I, I just... That, that... I just I look at their tu the sing single tutorial, and then I look at I'm, I'm sorry to compare the competitors wargaming, but you know I look at Gaijin <laughs> and the way they do it in War Thunder. Yeah. And the War Thunder tutorials are excellent. They are. Um, they're they're little bite sized 
gamified um, tutorials that work really well to teach a single concept. Um, and there's dozens of them. And it just, it needs to be something like that, where it just takes you by the hand and says like, hey, today we're going to learn about HEPEN. And you just have this little scenario where it just teaches you about HEPEN and nothing else. And then you can carry on with your day and, and do some battles and then just incorporate that knowledge. And then the next day you come back in, you do another tutorial. This time it's about AP bounce angles or something. Mm-hmm. And you just gradually build up your knowledge. Mm. Um, but literally at the moment, you log into the game, and unless you go to third-party content, like Twitch streams and, and YouTube videos and whatever, you cannot learn the game by playing the game, which is unbelievable. There really should be something like that. Mm. Really should be. And I, I hope that's what they what they have in mind now that they're talking about the beginner experience. We can only hope. We can only hope because uh, they also keep introducing new and exciting stuff that kind of heightens the the skill ceiling and and for me at least something that i'm struggling to learn is the italian destroyers now for one i can say that i'm not good with destroyers period but the added element of how the smoke works on it and to find their role i'm it puts me at a loss at least and and there's going to be a whole lot of learning by doing. But what what do we think about the Italian destroyers? So for me, um, as a destroyer player, as a reasonably skillful destroyer player, um, so for me they're really 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 fun. This week I've been like because I um I waited until early access had finished. I waited until the line came out, and then I just did a reset so I could play through the whole line. Um, because like I've said in my stream, I'm I'm from the album generation and I like to listen to all the songs in order, in the order that the publisher intended them to be listened to. So I like to start at tier one and work my way up to tier ten. And I've been giggling like a little schoolboy um, <laughs> because these things, are, if you know what you're doing, these things are so much fun. Because um, the sap, if you catch a destroyer on its own, the sap is ridiculously punishing. It's, it's horrible to deal with, um, but really good fun if you're the one doing the shooting. <laughs> and when you combine that, especially at low tiers, when you combine that with the fact that they have really short range, which means they have a really short bloom distance for their guns, mm. you can you can get a destroyer in front of you, kill it in like three salvos, and you can be surrounded by enemy ships and go dark because they're not inside your bloom range, mm. which is really good fun. <laughs> because they have such good concealment and they're really fast and you've got the, the engine smoke. Mm. Uh, or exhaust smoke, whatever it's called, uh, the Italian smoke. Um, then you can do torp rushes. You can be sort of like a budget Palo Emilio. Um, the torps aren't great. They're a bit slow. They're not very high damage. Um, but if it's a wounded target, you can definitely kill it. They have a fairly nice um, range, though, on them. They do. Um, and so for me, that's really appealing because um, I'm primarily a, dis- uh, a torpedo destroyer player. And so if I've said, let's say I've lost a bunch of health because I've done something stupid which in those I quite often do, because I want to have fun. <laughs> um, I can then revert. I love ships like this, that where you can like, okay, I'm going to play it like this at the beginning of the game, and then if I lose a bunch of health, then I'm going to switch the way that I'm playing it. And and then you can play it like a torpedo destroyer, um, which I, I just love. I love the versatility. I love the fact that I'm enjoying every game, even if I screw up. Because while I'm screwing up and I'm dying, I'm giggling because I'm having fun. And, <laughs> and to me, that's just like the, the, the perfect recipe for a new ship line. So I, I love them. I think they're great. I have had a lot of fun in them, even though I absolutely suck in them. But Grummels, how about you? I know you love your YOLO. Have you tried any of them? So I haven't tried the new ones yet. I think I had a Leone somewhere uh, on NA. Oh, that's nothing like the same. But yeah, exactly. I don't think that counts. 
but the only one I've got is the is the Paolo Yolo, and I was gonna I was gonna say exactly the same thing as stats ended with is that I know that I'm brilliant at it. I know that I'm just it's the best. It doesn't matter whether I do any well actually statistically speaking because I always come away from that ship smiling. I'm literally just laughing my ass off, and it's like. It doesn't matter, win, lose, or draw kind of thing. I don't really care because it's just so stupidly fun. So if the others play like that, I guess I need to get grinding that line. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's, a, there's a few in there that I really do enjoy. Um, what was the first one they released from Early Access? Urbina. Yes. Beautiful. Oh, that one's a lot of fun. That one I've had a lot of fun with. Like the, the ability to go in and, like you say, absolutely destroy an opponent like that and then just giggle as you rush off mm -hmm. it, it is a lot of fun it is but Top tip for new players of those ships is um don't use this don't necessarily use the smoke to rush at the ship use the smoke to escape from the ship that's yeah. also an option don't forget that that's an option mm -hmm. that that is actually kind of a top tip for a lot of destroyers though i'd say when you need to run away like pop the smoke after you but you know there, there's a that's more of a general thing than not just necessarily uh for all destroyers though should be said um but yeah no i'm i'm looking forward to getting through those and <laughs> here's my problem um i'm still working on my panation destroyers i'm still working on the german <laughs> destroyers i'm not up to the z52 yet i have but so I'm many destroyers yeah, I'm halfway through Yu Yang, and they've just added the reload booster. So I'm I'm oh, happy yes. as Larry. Yes, because it didn't need it, in my opinion. And so now I've got this reload booster that's just insane. I absolutely love that change. Dumb. Like, I, yeah. I I got the Chung Mu as part of the like because of being a CC. I I did get it for free because I didn't have it because they wanted to show off the new camo for it, the the turtle ship one, the the, the wooden one with spikes on it. Mm. which i absolutely love great camo so uh so being given that i i tested it out on stream first time with some guidance from viewers thank you by the way everybody for helping me set things up and love that ship and hearing that it was gonna get a torpedo reload booster i was like oh yes hello that <laughs> is amazing news like you say it doesn't need it but my god i i love that for them that it, it makes them even more uh, wanted uh, in a game, I'd say, because the deep running torpedoes on them, um, yeah, you might not be able to take out another uh, another destroyer or sub with them, but lordy, lordy, you can clean up cruisers and battleships with them, and that's fun. We we all we all love that dev strike on on our cruiser with a set of torpedoes. Nom mm -hmm. nom 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 nom. Yeah, I've always found the Chung Mu super fun. I gave that one quick go. I was a bit surprised that the reload booster is the cooldown is as long as it is. Um, I mean, it doesn't need. It didn't need the reload booster in the first place. I don't, no, don't exactly. Think it needs to be any quicker. Bonus. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, I'm actually kind of expecting them to hit it a little bit with not a nerf bat, but like, I, I think they're going to have to tweak it down a little bit somehow because I've mm -hmm. got a funny feeling it's going to end up being slightly too strong with that reload booster. But. <laughs> could could it end up getting the same reload booster treatment as the what's the American destroyer that has that? Uh, the, the, oh, yeah, five like the, the Monohanahanahan. Yeah, there you go. Like it, because yeah. it has like you, you hit the reload booster, and then it's still thirty to forty seconds for it to actually go into effect, and then it's a long cooldown. Could that be a change? Possibly. The yeah, maybe. 
It might just be I a think, question whether people get it or not. Yeah, true. I, I, one of the things that makes a reload booster so strong is the fact that you can put out your normal set of torps and then almost immediately you can put out another set of torpedoes right behind it. And it allows you to cover such a huge area um, that limiting the or, or making sure there's a minimum time between launching your normal torpedoes and then launching your reload boosted torpedoes mm -hmm. um, is, is a really nice way to mitigate that a little bit. Um, but then you're also diminishing the fun for the player that's using it as well, because launching a million torpedoes is quite good fun. It says is. the addicted Benham player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I must admit, I did have a really evil smile on my face as I launched the Chung Mu's uh, double set of torps into like a gaggle of cruisers that were sitting on a corner not expecting them. <laughs> quite nice to see it. I was I think it was a Stalingrad, a Simulanta, and a Minotaur. Oh, like, ah, you guys will enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> Catch. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Italian destroyers. Good news, everybody. They're fun. Thank you, Wargaming. That's how simple we're going to make that. Um, moving swiftly along to new things. Uh, new French cruisers incoming. Um, oui. oui. And uh, some of us have been uh, lucky enough to test them out already. Uh, Toulon, I like her. Um, she's very she's very different from the normal cruisers, naturally enough. But... There are a few things I'm actually missing with her. I would love a reload booster on her. A main battery reload booster, that is. But I can also see why they haven't given it to her. But the rest of them, mm, I, I think with... Like, like they've only... They've only given... No. no they're, they're actually out now since they are in... Uh, they're done with their preview period. Uh, meaning I, I think we can actually talk a bit about them. I the find ones them... that are in early access, we definitely can, yeah. Yeah. So the is the Marseille out yet? Yes, because you, yeah. you can buy it. That's the tier ten, right? Yeah, yeah. You can, yeah, because you can just straight up buy it. Yeah. yeah. So I like them. I think they're fun. But then so again, I I, I, I love sitting them. bow in with something and then being able to smack stuff with a, with big guns though. But you haven't played them. So something I'm finding slightly frustrating with this early access is that they've changed the way it works slightly. They've done early access in more or less the same way for the last year or so, mm. um, where there's you know that that bundle chain or whatever in the armory, and it goes something like a couple of inconsequential rewards, and then a camo, and then a ship, and then a camo, and then a ship, and then a camo, and then a ship. Mm. They haven't done that this time because the only ship in it is the Marseille, which is right at the end, and you have to pay a ridiculous amount of money. It's like two hundred and fifty dollars or something, all told. Yeah, I, I for think a somebody, tech tree ship. Yes, somebody did the math, and like it's, it's somewhere around sixty thousand doubloons in total, ridiculous. if not more. Hmm. And um, and I'm and I'm saying I'm saying this every single time. Do not buy the bundles unless you get the ship on first try like that like that it pops up and says this is what you'll get in this bundle unless there's a ship there don't buy it don't buy into it please because there's so it's, it's tech tree stuff so yeah so what i would normally do with these early access events is i would use my free cc doubloons to to whale the ships through that through that chain mm. so that i can say to people like hey here's the ships and i can show them um so that they know whether it's worth you know grinding for or risking or, or whatever um but this time you can't do that because you get the the tier eight comes out of a mission chain, which takes quite a while because it's week four that gives you the ship. Mm. Um, the tier ten costs two hundred and fifty dollars and it's free in two months anyway. Mm. Um, and then the tier nine is pure random chance. Yeah. Um, so I can't play them. <laughs> so I'll, I haven't played them. I'll give them kudos on this 
though. The the ability to get to tier 8 through a mission chain without relying on, on random luck or anything like that is pretty good. That I will give them kudos on, but but I think they are they're relying more and more on people buying these random bundles for some strange reason. And I Oh, it annoys me. It annoys me that they do this with every single pre-release. Problem is their decisions of what to do with the armory and giving out stuff is going to be entirely data driven. Mm. And so the fact that they're going more and more to the um to the random bundle drop mechanics is probably because the players are interacting with it. Um I'm not going to say like don't do you know, like it's your fault don't you know don't do it but um they are undoubtedly they're responding to what the player base is doing otherwise they wouldn't be doing it no no mm, definitely because, you know they're just going to maximize the amount of money that they make I uh I think sadly I might be part of the problem regarding the uh, the Schlieffen release because uh <laughs> I I I threw my well-earned CC doubloons at them for that I say well-earned with a bit of a wink uh because I've I've been oh I've been accused of being a paid actor so many times. Oh, you get paid by working with no, I really don't. <laughs> but you get doubloons, yes, and and camos, yes, and what's your point? It's not stopping me from talking badly about them if I want to. But I, yeah, beside the point, it's like people really do be- believe that we CCs get paid. We we don't. We don't. Kind of stupid. Anyway, it's a pretty, is, I think it's yeah. a pretty fair exchange, honestly. Like, to, just to cover that quickly, I think, because um, that comes up a lot. Oh, yeah. No, we don't get paid. Yes, we do get free stuff. No, we don't have any rules about what we can and can't say within reason. Mm. Um, obviously, if, if we're going to, like, just do, like, blatant slander against Wargaming as a company or Lesser Studios as a company, then obviously they're not going to like that very much. But as long as it's well-reasoned, well-thought-out, well-explained criticism, they're totally fine with that. Oh, yeah. I've I've had a lot of conversations with uh, with Chegg, just Chegg, who's their new community engagement manager, and and he recently called me in um, in a half official manner, um, and we had a good conversation. And 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 when you say there about giving proper feedback, that is what they'll listen to. Like give them give them a good feedback as to why you do not like a ship. Like give them a. a, a, a a well-worded document and they'll read it they might not be able to do anything about it but they will take it into account and they will keep that in mind for future stuff going on and because they they do see everything that goes on in the chat on the official channel they they see a lot more than we think they do where they they take all of these waves of people going ah fix this delete those ships rah 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 Maybe that. Yeah. What are they going to do with this information? They can't do anything with this information because they keep asking why, and then nobody says anything. So if you're listening to this and you want to give feedback to Wargaming, please please do it through a CC so that we can ask a few questions and then give it as a well-written thing back to Wargaming and not just CVR bad, shut them down, you know? Or if you're responding to one of the official surveys that they do at the beginning of every patch, or when the new bit of content comes out, or whatever, um, you know, don't don't just type in the box "submarine's bad." Mm. Like type, like say, I had this experience. <laughs> this is why I think it's bad, um, and preferably, this is what I think you could do to improve it. Yes, yes, um, indeed. Yeah, I, I think, think that's a good point. Really- I don't think you had to call out my monthly responses. <laughs> 
like that in the middle of you know guesting on our podcast but i guess i'll take it it's done now Another sorry i, I didn't read the nda fully enough i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> bad. Mm. yeah speaking of side rows side rows what hello brain what, what, what just happened there <laughs> I, I don't know. Wow. What's up with your hedgerows? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I haven't had dinner yet. I'm still <clears throat> slurping down a, a, a smoothie. Speaking of submarines, I think I... Did I just, because did I, I just segue. I think I just segued. Did I just say anything? You, I just you, yeah, you just segued. You just segued. Wow. I'm proud of you. But yeah, speaking of them, uh, I, I have the word hydro up on my screen. That's probably why it happened. Speaking of mm. subs, we, have, we had a tiny bit of a discussion here early on. Uh, and many... Many of the reasons why people do not like subs is because they struggle with countering them. And this is where I... Because I have many a bad encounter too, especially in ships that do not have any sort of uh, ASW. Uh, that's anti-submarine warfare capability, for those wondering. Mm. Or weapons. Um, and and then I'm, I'm kind of sitting there. What am I supposed to do with this? I can't do anything. And you, Stats, you had a great example of a fellow worship streamer, Mr. Flambass, who people probably are familiar with, where he also had an encounter where suddenly he's left with what what can I do? So if you if you don't yeah. mind, can you can you use that as mm-hmm. as sort of a background and then let's talk a bit about how to counter subs. Sure. And I and Grumbles asked a really good question during the editorial meeting as well, and I'd like to cover that. Um so yeah, someone posted a, a clip of, of Flambus, I think it was from today, um, in my Discord earlier. And he's going along in the uh, the Tier 10 Italian destroyer, which is quite big. It's quite a big destroyer. It's, it's kind of like a mini cruiser. It doesn't maneuver particularly well. And, you know, he's a very, very experienced destroyer player. He's dodged a billion torpedoes over the last few years. And so he knows exactly what he's doing with, with dodging torps. And and it's, you, you could argue it's almost muscle memory for him at this point. Mm. And so he's he's talking to chat and he's not lo- really looking at the game and like just doing his normal thing quite early on in the game, I think. And he's tailing another ship. I can't remember if it's a cruiser or a battleship. It doesn't really matter. So he's tailing another ship. That ship's spotted. He's not spotted. And he's going along like just nose to tail with this other ship. And these torpedoes crop up slightly. The beep, 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 beep of the torpedo alarm. And this sort of single conga line of torpedoes appears. <laughs> and so he like quite casually is like, okay, I can dodge those no problem. He starts to turn. He slows down. The torpedoes are sort of going past him until they don't go past him because those torpedoes are homing on the cruiser or whatever it was that's like just in front of him. And I, and so they gradually curve towards him and you just watch his face just go, oh no. Oh, As these torpedoes just like, and he can't avoid them because they're, they're homing on the ship behind him essentially. Um, and so he just like puts his head in his hands as the torpedoes hit him, um, because everything he knows like instinctively about dodging torpedoes obviously doesn't apply to homing torpedoes, (laughs) particularly when they're not homing on you. Mm. And, and okay, that you could argue that the players need to change, right? I'm a big advocate of, okay, well, the game's changed. You need to change the way you play. Um, but like... It's just one example of negative experiences that people are having interacting with submarines. Yeah. And I have to give Wargaming credit, playing the submarines, actually pretty good fun. Um, the, the experience is quite nice. I don't agree with with where they are as a concept. Like what the submarines are in the game is not really what I have in my head as to what a submarine should be like. But like, it's pretty cool. Like you get to go into the water and like all the visuals are really nice and the like the sounds are quite nice. and. Um, it's actually quite an engaging experience. 
for the submarine player, mm. but for the other 11 players on the team or 10 players on the team, not so much. And I think that is, as, as you know, big handfuls, I think that is the issue with the submarines right now. It's not the submarines themselves. They're fine. It's playing against them. And it's just, I, and I don't see how they're going to get around that problem. The, these submarines have been in testing now for three and a half years. In and they're still many, not right. Many different stages and many different and kudos, variants. Kudos for Wargaming for not dumping them on us like they did with the carriers. <laughs> but they're, they're essentially live. Yup. Well, and there, there's still this interaction issue. Um, so, Gr- Grumbles, do you want to ask? Sorry, I'm going to take over the hosting. <laughs> Grumbles, do you want to ask? <laughs> sorry, I can't help it. Do, don't, don't do, do you want to um, ask that question that you asked during the editorial meeting? Because I think it was really interesting. Yeah. So my my question was because I, you know, the context is that I don't play the game as often of late, and I haven't played as much. Uh, for quite some time during also the drop of the submarines, uh, certainly in their latest guys. And uh, the other day I had an experience where I thought, I'll just nip on and have a quick quick game or two, chill of an evening. And I, I took out, I was such my Vampire 2, the Tier 10 uh, Destroyer. And I thought, oh, this would be fun. Let's let's just see. It's a, it's a fun little boat. I like playing it. Tootling along. Oh, submarine. Oh, okay. It's about four clicks away. Oh, I'll go and kill him. There's no one else around. Charge! I've got hydro. I'm a, I'm not the fastest, but I'm all right. I'm maneuverable. Rush at him. Worst case, get my little puff puff of smoke out or whatever, and just go and run away. And uh, let's see what happens. And uh, yeah, try as I might. Try the comp- the mixture of trying to catch him and then use my hydro, which is pretty solid on the vampire, and try and find where he went. Would <laughs> prove to be uh, very elusive. And uh, yeah, a few moments later, after chasing him, I don't know for a couple of minutes, kind of being a bit bit stubborn, dwarvish about it. But what, I was like, look, if this is the one thing I do in this battle, I'm just curious. <laughs> so I tried to charge him down. And it was a Baleo, I think it was. He just popped up and went, oh, you're you're still fairly close behind me. In that case, say hello to my uh, butt torpedoes. Launched a line of butt torpedoes, double ping me. And I was like, oh, chasing the submarine in a submarine hunter wasn't a very good idea. So my <laughs> my question was, what is what is the general advice? Am I being a real dum-dum or, or is, there, is there a way to counter them as a destroyer in particular? Or is that kind of part of the problem? Or what would be your tips? What would be your advice? <laughs> uh, right. So, um, yes, the, the destroyer hunt, sorry, the submarine hunter part is kind of interesting. So I think, and this is what I was saying earlier, that the idea that you have in your head of a submarine, maybe you've played some submarine games, maybe you've seen some submarine movies, maybe you just know a bit about the history of them. You know, submarine is slow underwater, at least mm. at that period of time it was. Um, they are quite vulnerable when when you know where they are, because um, depth charges should be pretty dangerous for them. If they're on the surface, they don't really have any way of fighting back. Um, so, so they should be quite vulnerable. And the fast, small, agile ships that can drop bombs on their head and drive up to them and shoot them should be the most dangerous ships for them. The reality in the game now, after three and a half years of changes, is that it's the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Destroyers are their food, and it's ironically the battleships and the heavy cruisers that are the most dangerous to them. Because they're the ones that can reach out and touch them with ASW from range. So, so you're in your battleship and you're, you're fighting, you know, you're shooting across the map and shooting some cruisers and like dodging normal torps. And then a submarine pops up within a few kilometers of you, like completely unrelated to what you're doing, just someone else is spotting them. And you just take a couple of seconds out of your day to drop bombs on their head. And then you can go back to whatever it was that you were doing. And 
if you're in a destroyer, as you found out, in order to go and kill the submarine, you have to go and try and kill it, like personally. And and the same with a light cruiser. And the entire time you're doing that, and not only is the submarine really dangerous to you because it's extremely maneuverable, it essentially has a smokescreen that it can deploy whenever it likes in the form of going underwater. Because mm -hmm. essentially, in, in terms of the game meta, diving is the same as smoking. Mm -hmm. And it can pop up and, and, and torp you and then dive back down again. You can't detect it with your hydroacoustic search, which is literally the real-world tool that you would use to find a submarine, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I find incredibly dumb. Um, and all the time that you're doing that, you're driving into a position which is probably quite dangerous to you because you're going to be out of the position that you would normally play in. A lot of players are getting blinkered, and they're like, I've got to get the submarine, and they're driving forwards. <laughs> and then they kind of like look up and go, oh... I'm just surrounded by enemies, or I'm I'm in radar range, or, or whatever, and I didn't mean to be here. Can confirm. Mm -hmm. so Been I, there, done that. Yeah, and and so not only are you having to deal with this extremely dangerous submarine that you have to drive up to, which gets more and more dangerous the closer you get to it, but also you've got to deal with the fact that you're probably going to be spotted at some point, and you're probably going to get shot at by literally everything on their team because mm. you're mm -hmm. probably close to them. And so my advice would be before you, when you see a submarine and a destroyer or a light cruiser, um, is just think to yourself for a second, if this submarine wasn't in the game, would I drive into that position? And if the answer is no, don't do it. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. Just just ignore it. If, mm -hmm. like, like you found, it's on its own, and you can go and get it, the, the second question you need to ask is, is it worth my time mm -hmm. probably spending the next four or five minutes mm -hmm. driving over there and then trying to find it? and then dropping probably three or four different volleys, or for want of a better word, of uh, depth charges on its head, because you're not going to kill it with the first one, mm -hmm. or the second one, probably. Yeah, so that, that that pretty much sums up. I mean, it's almost as if you've seen an action replay of the game. It's, uh... <laughs> but, I've, I've, but we've all been there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, that's, that's I, I didn't know, because I've just been looking at the numbers while you were talking about it, because I was like, I mean, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? So I was like, I haven't really paid any attention to these lately. I just had a look, and it's like, running speed of the Baleo, 28 knots. I'm like, okay, so the Vampire 2 is 35. Running speed underwater, 29 knots. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, let's have a look at the captain's skills. And so, oh, look, there's a buff there if, you, if the, you know, certain conditions are met. And then mm -hmm. and then there's another buff you can pick for, like, your ping times uh, cooling down if you're detected. And, and I was like... So basically charging this thing, because I was pretty close to it when I first spotted it, I thought, he's not going to get away from me, was like, firstly, I'm not catching it as quick as I thought. Secondly, as you just stated, he's going to be absolutely deadly the closer I get, unless I'm like, get to a point where I, I can somehow circle around him and drop my death charges on him. And the fact that I couldn't pick him up on the sonar, I mean, I was like, okay, again, ignorance is bliss, but it was like a perfect storm of like, oh, this is... <laughs> Yep. I've just made all the incorrect choices based on my intuition and or having watched U-boat uh, movies. <laughs> so, like, to me, like, it, it just creates this dissonance because how you're expecting the submarine to behave and actually how they behaved earlier on in the testing, um, where they were slow and they were very vulnerable, mm. um, it just isn't true anymore. And so a lot of players, casual players particularly, are going to get caught out by that. I get caught out by it all the time trying to drop bombs on their heads using battleships or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they, because they move a lot further than you think they should be able to. Because mm -hmm. you like, okay, well, they were there five seconds ago, so they can't be very far mm -hmm. away from that position. Mm -hmm. No, that's wrong. You need yeah. to remember they can move just as fast as a destroyer can underwater. 
And they also have a much tighter turning circle. Mm -hmm. A lot of them, at least. Yeah. So we've, we've, uh, we've had plenty of discussions about this in the community. Like the effect a sub has. And, and one of them is the ability to just super dump torps like that. And just an idea that popped up in my head is instead of doing that, that, that doom drop that they do pop up in front of you, doom drop you, and then just they simply fuck off. Um, <laughs> would it be better to have to have them have a different sort of torp? where where you get rewarded for using them on on larger ships like one one larger one to to hit and in a different way for it to maneuver i don't know like it was just i would argue right we already had that my head and just eh. I, I think we already had that so they the whole double ping does more damage for a ship with the citadel um arguably we did have that at one point and they removed it yeah mm. But that's because I, I, of the ping, I'd say, and that that's a completely different. I, I feel ones. like I feel like, but you know, also thinking back on the conversation, my instinct is on it, or my gut feeling is, it would be pretty cool if they went a little bit back towards more real world. So, like, I'd be happy with them to be a little bit quicker on the surface, you know, which might incentivize like capping and whatever positional play, and then like. Just they've just got to be more vulnerable and or detectable. Uh, that's the bit that feels like it's wrong because I basically my a lot of the frustration I have is not not only the the deadly and you know learn teaching myself to not to chase them and that kind of thing, but it's it's like even as a battleship they are effective, but like you've got that limit range of where your planes you know your plane radius is, and so they're often just sitting on the edge of that or skedaddling really quickly off, and I just feel like. I feel a little bit like there should be more risk reward in in that you can have all those rewards and do all the hard hitting and the rest of it, but then if you get spotted and you get caught out, yeah, you're in really big trouble, like really big trouble. And it doesn't feel like it's like that right now. I, the, the subs I see they get wiped out quickly in the games. And again, I'm playing you know very casual at my once a week, but the, the ones I'm seeing them get themselves in trouble are the ones that basically have gone out of position. They've gone too far, overextended, and got too close to the enemy ships and just let the enemy ships run on top of them. Yeah, so, but you'll see the same sort of scenario with a with a highly like with a new destroyer player. You'll see them run themselves into mm -hmm. trouble in the same way because yeah. subs are highly highly specialized destroyers in in the current way they they work. So, but but subs have that that free get out of jail card with with just mm -hmm. diving, like you said, at any given moment, really. And if you have a good sub, uh, submarine captain, then they also know how to keep that dive battery available and, and keep it topped up a long time. And that's scary. But there are plenty of discussions out there on like how to get rid of the, of the, of the ping from a sub. Um, how, how can Hydro better detect them without being too overpowered? Um, because I, I do feel that, for instance, the, the five kilometer hydro search from, uh, from a lot of the German destroyers would be, and actually, no, now that I think about it, it should be absolutely deadly for a submarine. It yeah. should be. Yeah. No, I, if I you've got a German destroyer next to you and you're a submarine, you should be totally, totally screwed. Yeah. <laughs> no, as soon as the words left my mouth, I was like, no, hold on. That should be deadly to it. Never mind. I'm stupid. So, yeah. but but one one idea that we recently talked about in my community that I absolutely loved 
is the efficiency of the homing uh, towards any given ship should be or could be rather i should say could be affected by how quickly that speed uh, that ship uh, is going so you have less of a homing effect on something like a battleship tiny bit more on a cruiser and tiny bit more on the destroyer right i'm not talking the levels we have now by the way because they are stupid i just want to point that out um so there are differences but i think i haven't checked so i can't state that this is true for sure because it's changed many times during testing mm. but there are differences uh, not to the speed but to the type of ship that's being homed in on um, but I think it's the opposite way round. I think I think you have the the least amount of homing on a battleship to give them a chance to dodge, right? Yeah. Um, mm. Think I'm not 100 percent sure about that because they have changed it several times. But, that, um, th but once again, it, ma it makes battleships the least vulnerable, which yeah. just makes no sense at all. Yeah. No, they 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 clearly need to do something about that. And and again, having DCP be the only way of getting rid of of pings mm, yeah they have, have DCP. yeah sure. no, i have a lot to say there but they can't really have a, a single button to to get rid of of pings you need something else to be affected by the same button have you had the experience yet of being in one of the new battleships that has limited use dcps oh yeah and then playing around a submarine yeah <laughs> that's fun <laughs> let's go five submarines <laughs> Because <laughs> that just triggered me. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> anyway, something everybody's happy about. Yeah. Mm. Epicenter's gone. Yay. I. Mm. So I like the idea of Epicenter, but the way players played it, no, not so much. <laughs> that uh, was always my go to point on Epicenter. People are like, oh, Epicenter. I'd be like, nothing wrong with Epicenter. You know, if you if you understand it and you play it, mm -hmm. it's just that most people clear off to a corner somewhere. And don't epi, play. I call it Epi Edge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's like let's all go to the outside. It's like, hang on, there's something wrong here. The entire point of this uh, battle mode uh, is being overlooked uh, by half of one team at least. Yeah, one battle. That was mode. always my problem, but yeah, yeah no. So I came up with. What? I came what? up with an alternative, um, like an alternative epicenter, mm. which instead of having like a bullseye circle, mm -hmm. um, you have strips across the middle of the map, and so you instead of it being a circle, you just have like the the middle cap is across the center line, Ooh. Um, like so many kilometer width, and then you have another one, and then another one. So instead of it being concentric circles, it's it's a, a row of strips. And mm -hmm. so you have to push forwards. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're flank, center, it doesn't matter. Ah. Um, you have to push forwards to, to cap. I like um, that. Yeah, yep. uh, I think that would work quite well. But I, I've never been a massive detractor of Epicenter. Um, it doesn't bother me as much as I see some other people being bothered by it. But, um, but yeah, Arms Race is great. I love Arms Race. So something that Arms Race does wonderfully is of course bring people to the points where the buffs are and and dirigible derby did the same thing they brought the teams towards each other where you will see action and yeah no that is that is the big thing that epicenter was supposed to be you know it does have one flaw mm -hmm. the floor is that at the end of an epicenter match it sorry at the end of an arms race match it turns into epicenter yeah mm -hmm. That I'm not a fan of, but I haven't seen a lot of matches go all the way there. Like, there's, there's usually a lot of shooting and crying and cursing going on before that, and, <laughs> and that's only from me. Um, 
<laughs> but no, arms race is is absolutely fantastic. I, I have, however, seen some people say that they do not like how arms race is uh, is affecting uh, co-op. Any any experience there from you guys? Uh, no, nope. um, so I've experienced other people talking about it. Um, how do I how do I talk about this without sounding like a uh, a complete snob? Um, <laughs> I don't I, think I, you do. I don't know. I don't. I just. I, I'm afraid I don't have much sympathy for people who play co-op. Um, <laughs> like, if that's your thing, fine. It's not my thing. You, 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 you go for it. Um, but if if there's a battle, but I know that there are people who do that. And if there's a battle mode or some new thing that that's affecting co-op, then that you know there are people who do play co-op as, as oh, their yeah. main game mode. And so wargaming should address that. But, but bear in mind that this this patch has just come out. Um, it's going to take a while for them to get to feedback. Co-op is not their focus. No. Um, because the number of people who main co-op is quite small. Um, but hopefully, if people are filling in the feedback forms and giving them feedback, um, and again, you can do that via your CCs if you want to as well, um, then hopefully they'll address that and maybe they'll remove it from the rotation. Hopefully. Why did they put it in, in co-op? It's a good question. It's a good question. I, I think it has I'm, to do I'm with the bamboozled that they even did it. Yeah, no, I, I think it has to do with the the fact that it is a it is a, going into randoms and all the the different game modes that go into random also are in mm. co op. The thing is, if you think about it, standard battle and domination don't make any sense in co op either. No, they don't mm. because you never play the objectives. You just drive forward and kill stuff, and then the match is over. <laughs> um, like the bots don't cap, the players don't cap, even if they you occasionally get someone saying like, "Oh, like cap A," like why? Just go and kill things. So, like to me, co-op should just be a map that has no caps, and you you just you play until everything's dead. Yeah. Um, because that's what happens every single match. So, um, yeah, it just it, it it's a bit of a non-issue for me because um, a I don't play it, but also. I don't see how that's any different to domination not being a thing in co-op. Yeah, no, mm. exactly. And but to kind of be a, a, an advocate for for people playing co-op, um, what I would love to see for them is to have maybe a tiny bit more um, access to enemies. I've played co-op a few times just because. Well, some of the missions in in some of the dockyards have been absolutely insanely stupid wargaming. Um and and one of the only ways of actually getting through the dockyard in the proper time without you know sacrificing health and holidays would be to play through them and focus on only getting said thing in co-op and you mean get fifty citadels on a Wednesday whilst wearing red underwear is insensible yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so being able to to jump into co-op and and do that when you suddenly get that influx of players in co-op you need to be able to also then extend some of the matches because it's it's going to be so much going on so and i am i am very happy to see a lot of people say ah, i only play co-op that's like, sure play the game the way you want but what a lot of people would want to do then is to have achievements like they don't give anything in randoms anymore why not have them in co-op and, and this would allow them to do some of the things that uh, that are for some strange reason, it requires you to play randoms or clan battles. Or no, uh, randoms are ranked uh, some of the campaigns. Because some of them say, oh, you have to get X amount of achievements in the game. Why? 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 Why, why do they have to have that? Can we, can we not have that? Oh, it's the farming of the flags. Oh, wait, we've covered that. <sighs> so, 
just as a kind of a, a, a short short trip onto the co-op road there give give them an achievement it doesn't have to be the same one as in randoms they don't give anything after all so yeah let's just yeah the ones from randoms just don't make sense in co-op they don't they don't but there could be different ones very much so and i i don't see a case against them honestly you could have like you could have quickest kill most damage yeah. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that they can do, to, pretty simply. Yeah, just a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, baby achievements or whatever, you know, and tailored ones for co-op. I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I think, for me, the the co-op thing is generally, or what, what it anno- uh, uh, gets me thinking on is always that I feel like there's a, a lack of solid PvE content in the game. That I think the game would benefit from you know pv or hybrid you know we've talked about missions and stuff like that to death mm. um but i don't get it like I, the, the, but on the roadmap i saw they want to bring back a revised version of that uh what do we call it that convoy thing i unfortunately missed that last time around so maybe that would be good they sound like they're going to make it more fun to be escorting or attacking but uh yeah i i i, I never quite understood especially with the huge influx of new players and then wanting to stay there, why they don't offer more PvE or hybrid uh, content, at least where it's, you know, like the Dirigible Dervy. And as soon as they offer some, it's like, yay! I think most people liked it. And then it's, mm-hmm. like, apart from it being locked to Tier 10, which is a bit silly. Um, and then the, everyone's like, yeah, we like this. And they're like, great, we'll take it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's what I feel like with co-op. I feel like there's there. I think there, there's a way bigger market for it. Maybe it's not the market that are after because it's not where people are spending money. But I think they're. I I don't think I don't know. They're, it's their business and they've got all the numbers and everything. But my gut tells me that they're wrong. I think people will enjoy um, you know their game a lot more and for longer if you can offer them that variety of content rather than it being constantly random battles. So. Uh, one example here of a game that offers both in a good way, War Thunder, mm-hmm. and plenty of the PvE content I've enjoyed the hell out of. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, hey, this makes me stay in the game longer because I don't have to grind endlessly in PvP, which sometimes sometimes drives me nuts because there's this guy who has optimized his settings to be able to see me from across the map 50 kilometers away and is able to snipe me but because i have higher graphics i can't see him so (laughs) just give me the variety and then i can go in there enjoy that for a bit and then get back to the pvp and i i do think warships would uh, would draw from that but um speaking of other modes that uh, was there for a tiny bit but i i know that they're going to be bringing back brawls brawls are fun Yes. Did you get to test them? Test? Yeah, so um, I did a little bit with the clan, um, like a, a full team div, which is frankly ridiculous, but it doesn't matter because it's, you know, it's a casual game mode. It's only there for a week. Um, and so people who are complaining about, oh, this is like totally unfair, like just just a bit of fun, like relax. Hmm. Um, so yeah, playing playing with a full like COTS team <laughs> is like ridiculous because you come up against a team of, of randoms and um but what's re- sorry, what's really interesting is that you can take a like a proper COTS team and make a team out of it and go into brawls and then get beaten by a team of randoms who have no divisions because they behave completely randomly. Yeah. And if you're playing, if you're like a proper organized team that's used to playing together against another team that's organized, 
it can actually take you by surprise because you end up with ships in positions <laughs> they're not usually in and torps coming from weird angles and like and the cruisers not being parked where they normally park. And so I've seen that a couple of times where an experienced team has been beaten by just randoms. But um, but yeah, it can be pretty amusing um, where you, you just steamroll. But um, but I like the big team, the big the, basically the, the brawls we've had most recently is just randoms that allows large divisions, essentially. Yeah. Um, the brawls I like that I want to see come back regularly is 3v3 and 1v1. I flip in love them. <laughs> 1v1 especially. I absolutely love 1v1. I met you because in a there's one no one. excuses. You can't say, "Oh, I had a bad team." I met you. You are a, the team. <laughs> I met you in a one v one. You were in Massachusetts. I was in the Turpits. Who won? Yeah, I won because who, of who, because of because of my secondaries yeah. were slightly better. Yeah. But that was the only reason. But it was so much fun. But yeah, speaking a, of fun, yeah. Grumbles like brawls the way we had them this time. Tell mm -hmm. them why. Let, no, oh, because we could yeah. bring in all of our community. You had me scrambling for a second there, and my brain jerked on me. I was like, wait, what was it? What was there a feature? So I was like, oh, no, yeah, because we just put a call out to everyone that was watching and said, hey, come and play with us. Ooh. And we just had loads of people just pinging us and bringing them in, and it was awesome to be able to bring so many people in, like, into an actual... You know, it's great you can do it in a training room, but there's always the setup and the downtime between and people wanting to change and having to no dip in and out and all the usual... It. Yeah, exactly. And and now and now we were able to have everybody just effectively playing the game more or less like normal, um, but hanging out together and having some fun and, and calling shots and ideas without it being like uber competitive. It was just super fun. And also have some laughs and, and jokes and banter. I even turned the, the my chat back on hey. for the duration, which I immediately regretted the next time we got out into a normal random battle. <laughs> go play Tetris noob. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Stupid stuff. Wasn't far uh, from it. So yeah. Well, I, I really, really liked that you could bring so many people in and, and, and gather. And it was similar to when they had the clan, um, which one was it? The little clan brawls or whatever, um, the 5v5 or whatever it was, some 5 or 6 or something like that. That was uh, super fun. But obviously then you had to organize it, get everyone together. We had time zones involved and all that kind of stuff. So it was a bit more awkward. This one's nice. And I, the, I, I do get your point, and I think it's a really good point that it's kind of a throwaway. You can have fun and relax because in a week it's gone and it means nothing. But I also think it'd be cool if, like, I don't know how they do it, but it seems to be that it completely stops then. And it's like, why not just have it a weekly thing? Like your naval battle, sort of, whatever, but but actually a game mode. And then just reset it and go again and go again. And then people want to play that, they can play that. I think they have a, a concern about queue times. I think, um, mm. uh, you know, if they've got too many things going on at once, the, the players will be too split across all the different modes. Um, which is why they've started to time limit ranked and things like that. But... Um... You know, what I'd really was... like to see. I'd really like to see the numbers on it. Um, yeah. Uh, because I'd love to see. Because you can't have subs or carriers in it. I'd love <laughs> to see how many people like not not trying to dig up all that old. Oh, who am I kidding? I'm dredging that up again. But like, it'd be kind of funny to see if during when the brawls were running, everybody yeah. just piled in there and no one was the playing sanctuary. the other mode. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not wrong. So brawls. Uh, I I think it could be cool to see like uh, a weekly game mode where they rotate between brawls, arms race, uh, dirigible derby, and, and uh, some of the, maybe some of the, the Halloween ones they've had from time to time. Um, space battles. My yeah. favorite event they've ever done is the asymmetrical space battles. I love that. Yeah, so have something like that on a weekly rotation where players have the ability to play them during prime time 
so that you know that there's also a lot of people in the random queues and and then just have that be on our rotation and let them do that because I've I've talked about this whole rotational thing before in regards to PvE content, but having something go on a rotation for a week when it comes to PvE equals bad. But when it comes to PvP, a great idea. Because then you have people coming and going and they can do their own thing. So yeah, no, I, I think that could be uh could be good. But you mentioned competitive teams going up against uh, full randoms. And that's going to be our, our, our segue. Yeah. Nice segue. Yeah, thank you. You you have recently done some casting, and you have done some casting in the past regarding... Uh, what I would like to say is competitive tournaments. Very competitive tournaments. Yeah, uh, I've done a variety. Yeah. Um, everything from king of the sea you know the, the big like the de facto world championships um all the way down to just little like little tournaments that are kind of fun um i cast once with tc a little um ra literally a racing tournament Ooh. um using destroyers which was insanely fun i want to try and repeat that myself because that was that was way more fun than you think it would be um and uh yeah i've done everything in between would would you uh, would you want to come on as a, a co-caster once of uh, of the finale of Lord of the Fjord? Sure, that sounds cool. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why I I get so tied into uh, how the bots are doing, but it's it's very <laughs> also, it's very so, interesting for some reason. So I've just remembered, Painzer and I have totally forgotten about that. We came up with an idea mm -hmm. where we were going to run in conjunction with a King of the Sea as like a parody tournament to run before it. Oh, wow, I'm going to have to remind him about this. So um, we were going to run a bot tournament. So you know a bit like, um, uh, what's it called? The one that that we've done with the streamers, um, yeah. Team League. Team League, yeah. Imagine Team League, but instead of recruiting human players, you recruit bots. <laughs> and so you're allowed to set the bot team up however you like in terms of the ship composition. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to bear in mind that, of course, bots don't use consumables. They don't have camouflages and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that is. And so you like, yeah, and then like you just let them go and let them go at it and um, and have like proper serious but tongue in cheek commentary that from is, casters who've got is, like the cameras and everything. It'd be cool. That is literally what I've done with Lord of the Fjord now. For is that Lord? Is that what Lord that of the Fjord is? That is Lord of the Fjord. So, so we Fantastic. we've done that a couple of times now, and and. You think you think it's ah, it's casual fun. You get really into it. Honestly, <laughs> it's weird. It's weird how invested you get into some of these teams. And you can do throwbacks ah to the moment where so and so Shimakase absolutely destroyed the, the Kremlin. But why is why is he grounded this time? You know, it, it, you get very into it. Honestly, I I don't know why. <laughs> but what is your your what is your favorite tournament to cast? Oh, it's got to be cots. I mean, it, it's got to be because um, it's just such a it's such a huge fixture in the World Warships calendar, um, and and I'm including the recent WSC in that as well because it's essentially the same thing. Because mm. um, you've got on EU on EU at least you've got um, hundreds of teams, like over a hundred teams, each of which has at least nine players, probably more, and so you've got literally thousands of players coming together for a month every weekend um, to to fight and um it just somehow the tournament like the schedule all works and everyone more or less turns up on time and the whole thing runs and it's very exciting you get to see some very high level gameplay um and and i i just as a as a spectator 
um, I just love casting it. It's it's really, really, really interesting um, to be able to see people playing at that level. And you just look at them and you think, wow, like I couldn't do that. I could not do that. Um, like the, the amount of information they have to process. Like if you look at the finals, like the final of King of the Sea, mm. um, like the, the, the tension and the, the amount of focus those players have to have, it's literally like professional sport. Um, where they, they've got, and you, you talk to them about, you know, like the training and stuff, the serious teams, and, you know, they'll practice like torpedo timings, radar timings, whether you can lob certain islands from certain positions. Like they work all this stuff out ahead of time. Mm. It's not, they're not just pressing battle and going, hey, let's just see what happens. You know, it, it, it's serious stuff. And, um, and it's amazing to watch. Really amazing. So you mentioned the, the, the viewability of it, like making, like the action and so on mm-hmm. and this is going to bring us on to a sub point of, of why we why i have this as a point on the on the itinerary the camera work mm-hmm. the camera work has been a bit of a controversy in in the mm-hmm. world of worships uh community for a while uh, for good reason but i want to ask you this do you see the camera work as something that could possibly bring in more viewership of people that aren't players. I think that's Wargaming's... And when I say Wargaming, I'm now including legally Leicester Studios as well, because they've split and blah, 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 and you've talked about that before, but... um, But I'm including the whole World of Warships development community. So I think their hope is that if they have these kind of glamour shots, these sort of sexy... Um, panning shots and like close-ups of the ships and things like that, and and also they they put stuff on the maps, and so they put like big trophies and um, like like the, the previous winners will be on an island and stuff like that. It's really cool stuff. Mm. Um, and I think they're hoping that players who don't really know what, in the nicest possible way, players who don't really know what they're looking at, um, will look at that and think, "Wow, that looks really cool. I'm going to play this game." Because, like, in the previous King of the Sea, for example, in um, in the autumn, um, they had Twitch front page for, yeah. for an hour or two. And so we had, like, tens of thousands of viewers for, for a little while. Um, and so there's going to be a whole bunch of people coming in via the Twitch front page who've never seen World of Warships before. And, you know, quite a big chunk of those, I would imagine, probably went, oh, I'll, I'll have a go at that. That looks cool. Yeah. And so they probably got a bunch of signups. The problem with that is that it's great for someone who doesn't know what they're looking at. But if you know what you're looking at, it's like trying. Imagine trying to watch it. Like think of a tennis, right? Very different game. But think about tennis. You've got the certain fixed camera views that the broadcasters will use. So you've got like the whole court for serving. You've got maybe like behind the server or behind the receiver. Um, and you like you know what you're looking at. You know what direction you're looking at, and the camera view will change depending on which stage of play they're at. Mm-hmm. So if they're if they're doing a bit of a back and forth, you know you'll have the whole camera, the whole pitch covered the whole um court covered um if you know what you're looking at with world of warships not having that kind of camera work where the the thing being talked about isn't the thing that's being focused on um can be very difficult to watch because you want to know exactly like, I, I need to see where those shells are landing i need to see exactly where those torpedoes are going i need to see if that cruiser is moving backwards or forwards a little bit because i understand what that means and to an experienced player and maybe competitor watching that um it's going to be very frustrating to watch okay. um i'm just going to inject myself in here because i i i know what it's like <laughs> to cast as part of team league now you there's certain things to say about team league that it's not king to see and that's fair but we get to control our own camera 
but it's so hard to uh, to keep a keep an overview of everything so first and foremost my hat is solidly off and and bowing down in front of people like Flambas, Flamu, you, and all the others who have kept a solid control of the camera and knowing where to look at the action and so on every single time because it's hard. It is very hard um, because you've got typically 9v9, so you've got 18 players mm -hmm. on the pitch. And, and um, you know, that's the equivalent to, you know, like rugby or football or something of that magnitude. And um, you have one camera. If you're casting with a co-caster, co they also have a camera. Yeah. Um, and you have to try and cover those 18 players um, who are all playing simultaneously. And there isn't one ball. There's 18 balls. If <laughs> because, not more, because you could have yeah. torpedoes. You could have shots yeah. lining up. And, yeah. and and knowing where to look at that is so important. So so, so my my thought, because I there were several moments in Team League where I, I missed the action completely. And I felt so bad. And it, it really got to me. Like even seeing just a few comments there, it really got to me. So I can I can also understand from a caster's view how it's good that somebody else can have the camera because then you mm -hmm. can kind of go, uh, okay, yeah, I didn't get to see the action. However, so to, my yeah. my idea so, here that could be good is to kind of have something that they've done in Dota Two for a lot of the larger tournaments. You have the you have the experienced player. Uh, tournament casting where it is um, pro players that control the camera they you get to see the action from their view they talk about things and then you also have the more chilled out view the more scenic view where there's more general talk about the game not necessarily about why the importance of these torps landing or or so on but you get the cool action shots could that be a thing for for wargaming yeah to do? the the problem is that World of Warships was never developed from the ground up as a uh, tournament casting no. platform. And so a lot of those other games like, um, you know, Dota and League of Legends and whatever, like the, those other big titles yeah. that have a, a proper professional um, tournament scene, um, they have tools built into the game engine to help them with things like instant replays and whatever that World of Warships just doesn't have. And so um, unless Wargaming thought it was worthwhile financially to put money into that, which I don't think it would be, they're, um, they're having to build on top of what's already there, which is frankly not very much. Um, and so and, and to be fair to them, like I get their vision. I totally get it. What the way that it works, just for those of you who don't know, when we cast the official like finals and stuff for King of the Sea now. So the co-casters, so in this case, it was me and Painzor for WSC. We're sitting in the training room, so we we have we do have our own camera, so we can fly around and have a look at the battle. But our cameras aren't broadcast. Um, the cameras are done by some guys in Leicester, so they'll have a team of I don't know a dozen or so people, and they'll have eight cameras around the match um, in various positions. So they'll have some high up cameras that are looking at the whole scene. And then if there's anything particular, like there's torpedoes coming in on a particular ship, um, one of the mobile cameras will go and go and focus on that. And then they have a director who's then telling or, or is controlling, I guess, OBS or XSplit or something to control which which camera is shown, just like a TV production studio, um, which sounds amazing because then you can like with a click of a finger, you can go and focus on whatever you like without having to fly across the map like the casters do. <laughs> the problem with it is that the person controlling the cameras and the person directing the cameras and, and what goes out over the feed isn't the person doing the talking. Mm. And that creates a bit of a lag. 
<clears throat> and because of this thing of it being 18 players with umpteen balls, um, the problem is that we're constantly changing because we're constantly having to say, like, on the A cap, you can see the destroyer backing into the cap and he's going to come under radar. But down at the other end, you've got on C cap, such and such is happening and B's happening. Everything's happening simultaneously. And so you're literally like talking about a different topic every other second. Um, and when you're controlling your own camera and you're broadcasting that, you can only really talk as fast as you can transition the camera. Mm. And you can also be talking while you're transitioning the camera. So while I'm flying from A to C, I can be setting up what I'm about to talk about. Um, and also the other caster down the other end can already be talking about it because they're already there. Um, and so, and you can like, you can have it in view. It's just that you're zooming in towards it over the, as you fly towards it. Um, and the problem with having these eight cameras is that when the scene switches, when they click that button and switch from camera A to camera B, it takes the viewer maybe a few seconds to figure out what they're actually looking at yeah. because, um, okay, you've got the little triangly thing on the mini-map that you can look at to see what they're actually looking at. But um, but it can be like, which cruiser, which island is this? Which cruiser is this? Um, whereas if you follow the caster camera like we would do traditionally if you're just doing solo casting, um, the viewer is watching you do that transition. And so they have context. Like, okay, they're flying from A to C. I get it. I understand the positions of the ships. Um, and And it's just, it doesn't quite work. That's the problem. It's a great idea, but it just doesn't really work. And the, um, but like they try so hard, and it's so much better now than it was a year ago because they they really try hard. Um, but personally, I think the better way to do it because they've got amazing like the replay system they have is amazing because they can they're constantly all these eight cameras are constantly recording mm. and if something happens they can press a button and, and replay the last few seconds of action um which is great because if the casters miss something they can just go back and show it um but it, it just doesn't quite work and so i think what they should do personally is they've got the two casters in the game with their traditional fly around cameras they should have those in the production feed so the director can switch between those context driven fly around cameras where whatever the person is talking about is definitely what they're looking at, and then mix in those other glamour shots for the slower moments. Because sometimes there's like just moments in a battle where nothing's really happening, everyone's just sitting still waiting for something to move, because when you get at the high end of World of Warships, and any competitive sport really, um, it becomes a lot more passive and a lot more defensive, because the players know that if I make a mistake, I'm screwed. Yeah. And, and so everything becomes a lot more passive. And so they, you do get these moments where nothing's really happening. And that's when they could cut in the panning shots and the, mm -hmm. the sexy promo stuff. Or, or show replays. Yep. Um, but then when there's action happening, like, let us have our own cameras. That, I think that would work well. That's why I'm kind of thinking of this, this as like, how to bring it up as a more viewable thing for, for people who aren't players, where you talk more generally about the game... Uh, about the impact of the torpedoes, for instance, in this case, or what what the implication of the, the radar sitting at that point, because an experienced player will know why the Stalingrad is sitting next to that island. It is to cover those two caps. But having a separate cast that is more noob-friendly, to put it like that, mm -hmm. I think that could bring in a lot of people. And that's where you need those panning shots. But for the experienced players and for the for the player base... Being able to go and watch your camera would be better and, and have that be two separate streams, but tie them together in a good way. Um, it's that We're talking very high production here, though, but but still, I, I think that could be a way to go for them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, like, you take feedback from the experienced viewers, who tend to be experienced players, um, they will always prefer that kind of style of casting where the caster has their own camera. Mm. Um, and then they won't watch the one that's highly produced because it's harder to follow. Um, and but yeah, as you just said, it also has you have to change the way you cast because if you're casting um, and you 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 don't know exactly what's on the screen all the time because it's impossible to try and look at the look at the feed and look at the game and keep up with both of them. Mm. Um, so we have to change the way that we talk slightly because we have to give di- direction to the guys in Leicester so that they know what we're about to talk about. And so we can't do this, like, switch, 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 switch thing that you have to do. And so you have to, like, lead up a little bit and say, and while that's going on, over at the A cap or over on the 10 line, Mm -hmm. and it it eats up valuable seconds that you could be using to talk about something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just slows the whole thing down. But the problem is the match isn't slowing down. And so then you miss things. Um, And and also, like, as you just said, you have to feed in things like, don't forget, Des Moines has a 10-kilometer radar which is something that I would never say on my own cast because I know that my audience know that. Yeah, and, and, and um, that's something I think could fit in a more noob-friendly one because yeah. then you could actually take some time, look at the Des Moines, and see how far does that radar reach, or and then you could even do a comparison. Let's say a Stalingrad was sitting here and, and see the massive difference that actually makes and and bring in more people. And they could have overlays. Yes. They could, like overlay a circle on the ship that's I, like, this is the radar range. Honestly, I would love... To be able to sit in such a cast because I get so stressed out about missing missing stuff, but I can I can talk about the mechanics, I can talk about kind of the mindset of the player sitting there, a tiny bit at least, and 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 I would love to be part of that. And I think <laughs> I I think another person that could do excellently in that is Sea Raptor. Oh, he a oh man. <laughs> the number so of times I've said to him, I've said to him, you need to be a sportscaster. He's like, so seriously. good. He's so good, dude. <laughs> he's just yeah. I I did um. I've done the last two King of the Sea internationals with him, and yeah. he, he's just so good at it. He is so good at it. He truly is. And I, I a lot of people told me that after uh, last team league, me and him together in a room. <laughs> Oh, man. It yeah. was just straight into that sportscaster role, uh, and I, I loved, I loved having that conversation with him. So yeah, I would yeah, love but to he's, he's got a, like a proper serious he job. Does. I said to him, like, you, seriously, you need to get out of that and get into sportscasting because you'd be amazing. No, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 100 with you there. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking a bit at the time here and I'm thinking we might have to make this a two-parter. Mm. <gasps> I think that's the first time we've ever done that in that case. Because I want, mm-hmm. I want to cover the rest of the uh, of the topics here properly, um, but I want to hear a bit more about casting your tournaments uh, from you. Uh, so, King of the Sea or or the WSC, WCS, W WWE War, Warships Spring Championships. Warships Spring Championship. Okay, so we're gonna have another one, which is Warship Summer Championship, or. When, so when's the next it one? depends what happens with certain geopolitical events that are going on right now. Ah, right. Um, I think Wargaming would very much like to bring back COTS as COTS with the internationals in the autumn. Mm. Um, but whether that happens entirely depends on what's going on globally. Yeah. Um, yeah. What What other tournaments uh, would you would you recommend people watch that haven't necessarily gotten the same? Uh, same sort of uh, coverage as COTS or WSC? Cool question. So um, Team League, what we'd mentioned earlier, is really good fun. 
Um, so that's done biannually, although I haven't heard anything about when the next one's going to be, but... There's a new um, post on, takes... the, on the Discord. Is there a new right post? Okay, yeah, I'll go look at that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, thanks. <laughs> so we'll... <laughs> Did you know there's a new post on the... They're, they're planning the next... Yeah. I apparently heard it somewhere. I, should... <laughs> I think I should go and read it. I heard it on... <laughs> So, it, yeah, it literally League. popped up while we were sitting here talking, actually. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's a bad. Okay, right. Yeah. Fine. Um, so, I, I, I'm pretty bad with Discord, but okay. Oh, don't, don't worry about um, it. So, Team League is really good fun because what it does is it takes a bunch of streamers, usually, typically, um, and they have to choose um, a team of basically randoms. Mm -hmm. So, it's a bunch of people who cannot be, there's rules about them not being in the same clan, not being in the same teams. And so you have to take a whole bunch of people who don't really know each other and put them together into a team. You choose a team leader, and then you can be, as the streamer, you can be as involved or as not involved as you like. Um, and your team has to try to, in one week, get good at being a team. So they have to maybe practice a little bit, talk to each other, get to know each other. And then after one week, it's the first day of the tournament, and they have to go out and fight as a team against yeah. another streamer's team. And the stream streamers essentially become the mascots. Um, and there's a lot of memery going on. The banter in the casting is great. It's just it's a really casual, fun tournament that's, that I've been told is one of the best tournaments that people have seen as as a casted tournament. Agreed. So I would recommend that one. I think, um, but that's that's a bit that's not very serious. That one. No, but I, I think that has to do with the fact that we are allowed to not be very serious. We can be biased. We can yeah. be passionate. And we can rib on each other and have fun. I, yeah. I think that's what makes it fun for for the viewers. And and like it's because because it's fun, and it's a game. Like Water Warships is a game, believe it or not. And so you're supposed to have fun. <laughs> and <laughs> so you know it's really cool that like if you, if I want to, I can say to my team like, hey, you guys up for a bit of fun? Do you, do you don't care about winning? Cool. Right. Let's just take nine destroyers and and go up the ten line and just have fun. Yeah. Or, or you know like whatever and 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 some of the teams did do that and um and it just makes it really exciting to watch you like oh that's really dumb but maybe it will work you know <laughs> so um so that's been pretty cool although having said that bobs did do that in cots yes yes we just, did just saying yeah yes we did i was there <laughs> yeah, so in, in terms of in terms of serious tournaments um there's a whole bunch actually um some of them gets a lot of coverage some of them don't um, one one thing I will say is if you're interested in watching or participating in tournaments, make sure you go and hang out in the King of the Sea Discord. It's not just for COTS competitors, it's also it's for anyone who can join the Discord. Um, because quite often any tournaments that come up will be advertised by the organisers in that Discord. Because the COTS organisers are totally fine with people doing that. Mm. Um, and so there's like Saturnalia, which is an NA-based one. There's the Benelux tournament that's based around... Um, the Benelux countries, um, although they quite often open it up to other people as well. There's Warships Classic, which is based on ships that were introduced to the game before a certain date, um, which is really cool. So you've got all the old ships, and so none of the new, like, <laughs> HE spamming DACA boats. Um, and so it's all the old school stuff, which is really cool. Um, and as far as possible, they try and, like, set it up so that it's, like, old school World Warships. Um, so, so those are the ones that, just off the top of my head, I would recommend, and um, and, and those are cast by a few people usually as well. So, um, yeah, go and hang out in the COTS Discord and get the info. There you go. Get your info where it's uh, where it's available. Ask your friendly neighborhood streamer; they might know. <laughs> and uh, I think that's going to be uh, be the line for for our warships talk. 
But oddly enough, we're still going to talk about warships, just not the game. Uh, we're going to be moving over to a different game very quickly here. Uh, there's, uh, there's a certain other game that we all three play, uh, where I know uh, a, a bin named Killer is very excited about something coming to it. Because the HMS Hood is now incoming to War Thunder. And I think Killerbin has been quoted saying, I will play naval when the hood is in War Thunder. And the hood is now coming. This is the guy who metaphorically camped out ahead of the uh, British battlecruisers going into test. Um, I think he like <laughs> stayed up all night in a tent with a you know, mug of cocoa um, and then literally stayed up for 24 hours doing all the testing. Uh, <laughs> I think he, did, he, he literally did the same with Incomparable as well. He stayed up all night because Halo came out. Yeah. Uh, and then in the morning, Incomparable came out, and then he got Incomparable and played it all day. So, so yes, I can believe that. <laughs> ben is a Ben is a great guy. So what's uh, for us normal people who are not necessarily uh, Tiaboos? Uh, what's uh, what's the big thing about Hood, and why why should we be excited about it coming to War Thunder? Do we know? I'm not much of a history nut, but I think it's probably the history, isn't it? Yeah, it's just the it's just such an iconic ship. Um, the stories behind it, what it achieved, um, and, and so I, I'd imagine it's that combination of um, it being an interesting ship to to play mechanically, and then in whatever game it's in, um, and then just the history behind it. I can uh, I can recall a certain Grumbles being very excited about the Sharnorst uh, being introduced into War Thunder. Yes, it was very shiny and horsey. It was, it still is. Mm -hmm. That that ship's a lot of fun. Uh, and I can also say, for my sake, the Arizona. When you hit stuff with the Arizona, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> it disappears. And of course, the okay, Congo. Mickey. Congo is also in War Thunder. Oh boy, Pluto. Um, and <laughs> and and for a lot of uh, warships players, you'll probably be uh, be interested in testing that up because it the, the two games play so differently, but there's still something about them where you go, okay. I can, I can, I can feel the resemblance in how and how she works. Uh, so, go play, go play, go play War Thunder. Enjoy. We are not a World of Warships exclusive worship uh, uh, podcast. I just want to point that out. Um, no, I mean it's it's funny that we're like linking a little bit back to the uh, casting topic, but it, I've I've never been able to get into World of Warships uh, casting stuff, the content. Because I think the people are are entertaining. I, I understand, you know, and and maybe it's what Stats would say. It's very interesting listening to that conversation. But linking this to War Thunder, I think the thing that really puts me off, and never really thought about it in such distinct terms before, but I think it's the production or the camera capabilities of the game really puts me off. Um, I just, it's not. It, it's not immersive enough for me. Um, funnily enough, I don't. Well, I don't really enjoy those games anyway. But things like Dota and that, I've never understood how those like they have those massive tournaments and like million dollar prizes and all. And I'm like, what is this? So I tried to watch it, thinking, <laughs> oh, this must be something really serious and really good. And I'm like, I don't understand this at all. I think this is no. not my kind of game. But the uh, the warships one is definitely the cameras, and I think that the mixture of overlay stuff that we're talking about, I was going to mention that as well. Um, and I, I don't know. Again, it's probably not doable because it's not part of the core of the game or something. But if you think about War Thunder 
and the cinematics you can oh, get yes. out of War Thunder, right? Uh, ignoring the age-old one one sort of Achilles heel of it, not not being able to rewind in replays. Grr, fix that. Uh, but apart from that, it's imagine having an action replay where you could do a flyby cam or whatever, right? Position from the pilot's view or, or the, the, the captain's, uh, uh, you know, the, the conning tower and stuff like that. It would look absolutely stunning. And I think if you combine that with some of the overlay stuff, and I think the good news is that on overlays, they've already got the technology and experience. If you look at some of their amazing video work that they've done, like the How It Works series and other ones, you know that they could do that kind of cinematic kind of overlays and things. I imagine a Des Moines and it's floating forward and then they just overlay and transition nice fade or whatever into um, a more drawn out animated kind of sequence with the Des Moines and showing its radar distances and its hydro and its gun performance and that and the statistics. And you know what makes me think of, uh, it makes me think of as well as um, I like from time to time uh, watching the UFC fight fighting, you know, ultimate mm. fighting championship. And I think about how the quality of their production has come in leaps and bounds over the years, obviously with big money and all the rest of it. It's a completely different ball game. But I think they could learn a lot from what the commentary team, the production team overlays and that mixing all of those different things than the camera angles. There's They could definitely look at like real sports. That's probably what they do, do some of this as well. But if they want to go big into esports and go big in that direction and end up with like million dollar prizes and, you know, Dota style and all that, then they have to make the investment somewhere along the line. Do you think? Do you think War Thunder could do something with the uh, like, like you mentioned, the replay and the cinematic cameras mm -hmm. they have available? What do you think I'd of be... a King of the mm -hmm. Sea style tournament mm -hmm. or War Thunder, but with those with those cameras available? What you, how how do you think they could stack up against what we're going to throw at us? I think it would be really interesting because I think what they could do on the production side with just the camera work and the angles and everything. And those kind of animations could be incredible. And then you've got the different scales. And then I think where they might... Obviously, the the naval experience itself isn't quite as polished yet. It's it's getting better and better each patch. But it's, you know, you can still see that they've got a long way to still to go. And then I'm not sure about the depth and breadth of, of things like the maps and how the maps would work in in the way... Like, the warships thing with the maps works really well, I think. It's proportionately and everything for that kind of tournament and 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 to and to entertain people. It's it's kind of like having an octagon. Whereas in War Thunder, it feels more like there's this really really big water and landmass area, and they could be fighting at either end of the continent, and and you could still do things with camp. You know, you'd have to have the predefined act, but it feels much more like a big fight breaks out, a big brawl breaks out in a huge parking lot, <laughs> and mm. you don't know where the action's going on. Whereas Wargaming's like. Everyone's locked inside the cage now. Go, fight. <laughs> I think if Gaijin were going to do it, I think they would have to add a lot of infographics because, like you said, you could literally, with World Warships, you can literally stick a camera up in the top, essentially the top corner of the room, just pointing down at an angle, and you could cast the entire match just like that if you really wanted to mm -hmm. um, because everyone can see everything. But as you say, in War Thunder, you, just, you literally can't see everything uh, mm -hmm. from one position. And so they would have to add some um, map overviews with like territories and map possession and the positions of all the um, the vehicles and where they're looking they'd have to somehow like if it was ground for example they'd have to somehow work out a way of integrating the smaller map that the tanks play on and the mm -hmm. bigger map that the planes play on 
Mm -hmm. um but yeah if they could do that it would be amazing it is very very interesting to see some of the tournaments that already play and 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 just to see how casting is done and the difference and it's it's Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. I think that where they might be able to get a lot of ideas from uh, for for either of them, actually, I think, for the camera topic, would be I'd probably look at Formula One. If you look at how that's developed over the years, oh, yeah. um, I think that there's, you know, there's lots of arguments why that's easier in some ways because, you know, it's a fixed track, so blah. But essentially, you've got the same thing with the maps. And I would, I would say it would be worth both of the companies investing some time looking at where would we position like pre-position camera crews if you thought of it and mapped it out like this is like a formula one race where are we going to get the good angles where's the action likely going to be or you know and again like in an f1 race there's whole areas of the strip they're completely empty and there's nothing going on you know the trick is to have 20 200 cameras whatever it is and say okay and then you need a good direction and production team who can say okay now we're switching to this camera because there's something going on there that might change the dynamic with the people doing the casting, the commentators, because they might have to be more reactive, you know, know, inform themselves in advance about who's there and what they're playing and that kind of thing. And then as the play and the camera uh, scenes roll forward, be a bit more like, oh, wow, now we're seeing this and this ship versus this other ship or this other tank on this corner here. And, and, and you know, and, and kind of not entirely improvised, but a little bit more reactive or something than um than it being more... interestingly that's the way that wargaming wanted us to do king of the sea um so the idea was that one of the casters would be in the game doing their normal thing like flying around with their own camera the other caster wouldn't be in the battle at all and it's literally just watching the feed that was going to be me mm-hmm. um the problem with that and I, I i threw my teddies out a little bit was because if you try that the constant cutting because the camera cuts literally every two seconds mm-hmm. um it takes you about two three seconds to work out what you're looking at like i was saying earlier and if you're a caster who's having to constantly talk about what's going on and sound knowledgeable it mm-hmm. just turns into at least if you're me it just turns into uh this is a cruiser sitting next to it that's a destroyer backing these are some torpedoes <laughs> and you just you never actually say what's going on because you're constantly just describing what's on the screen Mm-hmm. Um, visually and and so like do i i honestly don't know in some sports um how they actually physically do it it's a bit like i don't understand how newscasters keep talking while someone else is talking in their ear don't get it mm-hmm. um i couldn't do that and um so they'd have to come up with some some way of um being able to have all those different camera angles but then still having a caster or two casters or three casters talking coherently about both what's going on in the battle but also what's on the screen at the moment um Mm -hmm. and that would be incredibly difficult to do i just had a a weird idea here in 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 the midst of this because grumbles you mentioned formula one and Mm -hmm. and just kind of imagining formula one but with world of warships players like we're literally talking empty out new york city have them all start at two different ends and then try to race to the other part and just free roaming but they can't mm-hmm. go down a street where somebody else is older going yeah like that is literally what formula one would have to be or would end up being if you combined the two so that, that was it's just a weird idea that popped into my head how would we do this how can can we do this can we please do this <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why it's, my brain's weird sometimes okay open um, world formula one yeah open world formula one there you go uh but 
Um, I think it could be cool to see a larger scale tournament for uh, for War Thunder Naval with the use of the battleships and the power they have and the different other ships that are in it um, in, in a King of the Sea style uh, kind of thing. I think that could be cool. They have the, the they have the framework. They have some really cool, interesting ships. So yeah, let's. Uh, I I I would love to see that because something that that War Thunder does well, and I think we're gonna see more and more of it now that we see more and more battleships coming in, is that the skill shots of placing your shots in the midst of of a cruiser and then absolutely detonating it. Because you know where the magazines are, that could be big. It, it's the, mm-hmm. it's the same as kind of knowing how far forward does the citadel of a certain ship go, and what angle do I need to be at to place them so that I hit that tiny piece of armor that is good enough for me to penetrate through and and actually get reliable citadels and one of the warships like skill shots. Those are cool. And that's something that War Thunder could really bring to the table. Mm-hmm. It's a slightly differently paced game as well, I think. Oh yeah, very different. There's a bit of a. I get. I haven't done that much naval to be honest, but um, I get the impression that the scale is wider. So you've got the little, the little PT boats, mm. um, all the way up to the massive battleships, and um, and having a, a match that's got all that stuff in it going on at the same time could be really cool because then you've got like the fast, zippy torp boats mixed in with these gigantic battleships and, and and the footage being really cinematic of watching all the guns going off on the um, battleships and stuff. And I think, I think the engagements would last a little bit longer with the bigger ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that could be really cool. Uh, I'm going to mosey us on in the, to the next uh, little piece of topic here. This is mm-hmm. not going to be a long segment, but I just want to talk a bit about um, this, this, this dream and this chase for for high tiers that people seem to have in these sorts of games always kind of wanting ah oh, i need to hit the highest br and and one thing i want to just caution people about in, in war thunder is don't do it <laughs> don't don't do it find the br that you enjoy and stick to it because and, and, and here's kind of a, the nail in the coffin for that is even the community team at gaijin are sitting on their official streams and saying, "Don't, don't, don't go for high BR. Like it's 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 going to be a bad experience if that's the only thing you are going to be chasing. So find your BR and lock into it. Because unlike warships, unlike World of Tanks, there's a significant difference in style of play as soon as you hit a certain BR. Because suddenly you have thermals, you have darts, you you have all of these." different things that allow you to see for miles and miles and miles and miles and 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 it's it's suddenly it's no longer skill it's a reactionary playstyle, and and that's going to be bad for a lot of people so just a little psa there if you enjoy the slower more skill based kind of finding your target because you see them move through a window when you're sitting there in your tiger one and you know that ah okay these are going to move there and i need to point my gun this far up and then if you enjoy that then stick to that there's a massive difference when you get further up and and honestly i'm starting to feel that myself when it comes to war thunder so yeah uh any of you want to weigh in on that or are we just gonna 
Zoom. I'm kind of lucky with it because most of the things I want to play are kind of pretty low to medium end. I'm not into yeah. the modern stuff, so it doesn't bother me one bit. People are like, oh, you don't have such and such. So I'm like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Partly because I know I'll get blipped up there anyway, but it just, just doesn't, genuinely doesn't interest me to play the modern, modern stuff. Um, so I got lucky in that regard. But I do notice it, though, that some of the stuff when you, like you said, you get to like, you know, beyond three and you get into some of the fours and whatever, just to have that one particularly iconic uh, vehicle or whatever. And it's like, OK, the ships, it doesn't matter so much. The ships is just a blast no matter what mm. overall. The mixture of the different types and everything really, really helps that a lot. And the fact that you can take your planes up too, so you've got a good mixture of stuff going on uh, to keep it fresh. Um, but for the um, but for the tanks in particular, it's uh, yeah, it can be quite painful. It can indeed. For me, I haven't played much high. Well, I haven't played any high BR. I think my highest BR is between six and seven, something like that. So I've got to like mid BR. Mm. Um, but I can obviously talk about World of Warships. But um, I, I recently just randomly when i'm gonna start china um and i'm having a blast just like like br1 2 it's so much fun and um it, okay everyone might not share that that enjoyment but i just like the simplicity of it i like the fact that everyone's a bit more on a level playing field mm. kind of um that the the engagements last a little bit longer a lot of the time because um everything's slower and you're basically just throwing rocks at each other um, and so it just lasts a little bit longer. Whereas my experience of watching at least um, top BR play on people's streams is that it's either they just die or they just kill someone. Mm. There's nothing in between. There's no like, oh no, he disabled my track. I'm going to back behind this this thing and repair. And that's like, no, because, because of the ammunition and the armor up there, um, pretty much everything just dies as a one shot. Yeah, um, and that just isn't interesting to me because um, mm -hmm. it's far more twitch reaction-y um, yeah. and less tactical. I'm right there um, with you. So, so to me, low, lower BR to mid BR is just more interesting. And I just don't, I don't get this whole, especially in World of Warships, this whole like, like, oh, I got to get to tier ten. Like, why? Because they're the most powerful ships. Like, mm. but as you go up through the tiers, all the ships get more powerful. Yeah. So they're not. Like, oh, but but you're always top tier. Like, yeah, okay, fair enough, but. There's no there secret are, price. In warships, at least, there are bonuses for being bottom tier. Yeah. And there's, there's and so I. There's no yeah. cake. There's no cake at tier Don't ten. <laughs> I can I can guarantee you that we have, we we've we've tried to get cake, but no. Church of England said no. Sorry. Um, we're gonna move on to a few topics that are probably gonna go a bit quicker. Who knows? I know there's gonna be a bit of a discussion towards the end on on, on a couple of things. Um, Twitch has recently done some uh, some changes, and all of us are Twitch streamers. <gasps> dun dun dun! Who knew? <laughs> um, one thing that I really loved that they brought in recently was the artist recognition badge and the way of kind of saying, "Ah, this emote was created by this Twitch account." Like they, if if your artist is on 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 Twitch, you can actually attribute your uh, your uh, emotes to them uh, and and I think that's really cool what's uh what kind of uh, what kind of like have you seen anything uh, from this grumbles like have you have you had any pop-up and 
and see, oh, artist badge. So, I mean, the first thing I did was assign uh, the artist badge for uh, Rajira, who does most of our channel work and all the, certainly all the professional stuff. Um, and it was a sort of a, you know, really a real pleasure to be able to do that and give that recognition. Um, and uh, the, the thing about the emo attribution, I think, is pretty cool. Um, I just think they could have done a better implementation of it because they made it so you have to do every single one of them individually mm. yep. rather than making it like a table or something or a checkbox. And once you've got artists assigned, you just go chick, tick, tick, done. Um, so that was a bit frustrating, but I'm still happy that it's there and at least you've got that opportunity to do that attribution. I noticed it actually takes a few moments as well because it goes and checks that there's nothing wrong with that account or whatever as well, I assume. does something in the background. Yeah, I think we actually talked um, about this as a badge once. Mm. Could well be, because I think I, I do think it's a very, very cool thing. I think that it, people really appreciate um, artists and, and the emotes and things. Obviously, it's a, a, an integral part of the whole experience. And bringing this in, uh, it feels like one of those things now it's there. It's like, why didn't we just have this all along? Yeah. Um, and maybe they can do other things, you know? Who, <laughs> if, heaven forbid, if we get to a point where there's some kind of deals for licensed music and all that kind of thing, imagine having like where you could credit independent artists or music that you've made with people or producers or it could go anywhere right yeah so that's what's your uh, first impression of this uh, new badge um, system so technically i am a twitch artist because i have made a couple of emotes for people hey um so i've actually been attributed uh, as the creator of a couple of emotes on killabin's channel for example um what i don't know and i actually just literally just went then to check is what i don't know what it presents as so I've I've accepted the attribution to a couple of his emotes, but I have no idea. Does it give me a badge? Does it like give? I, I don't know. I can't find it. As far as I um, know, it allows people to see uh, that. Okay, when I go over this, that ah, this emote was made by this person, and it should also block them together with other emotes made by the same artist. Okay, I, I, it might be because I'm a moderator in the channel, so I can't see it. But um, yeah, I'm not seeing that right now, so I don't know how actual practically you know how how well implemented it is but it's a great idea um i actually watch a, a streamer called casey who's actually a professional emo artist among other things and um and she was talking about it the other day and and um i think if you're an artist having your work credited is really it's not important to to your success necessarily but it's just nice it's just good manners almost yeah to to credit people for what they've done and I'm a big proponent of making sure that, you know, I don't use any copyrighted work. I don't have the rights to do so. Making sure I don't use any copyrighted music that I don't have the rights to do so. And if I do use something that's got a certain license that I credit the person that created it. Um, and, um, and so from that point of view of just people being credited correctly, it's just a really nice thing to see. Um, mm -hmm. And as you say, you know, it doesn't necessarily just need to include visual art. It could include other things as well. Definitely. Definitely could could be something there, and I, uh, like, <laughs> I know we already talked a bit about the ability to maybe have a different style of mod badge, but I'm not sure that's so smart because we're we're literally talking about something that needs to be global uh, or globally recognized at least. But they've also included a couple of other badges, which I, I love the idea of, but and with that but, I'm gonna send it over to you guys. What's <laughs> What what do we think of the no audio and no video badges? Grimbles. 
I mean, I, I, I just, I think that they have had a very interesting idea. Possibly some kind of alcohol or something else was involved when it came to the implementation <laughs> meeting. Like, how could we do this and make this really like fun and worthwhile and, and meaningful? Because it doesn't currently seem in any way to be actually linked to anything functionally. So it's up to the users, the, the viewers to go and choose it for themselves. Um, so mostly what we've seen is either no one's noticed it, no one cares. <laughs> that probably takes care of the vast majority. And then the rest are uh, folks just having fun with it. Let's let's call it that. Trolling, whatever. Saying, oh, I'm just going to put this on. And in the ones that I've seen, it's clearly like not so much on my channel, but on other channels, they're clearly just taking the mickey because they're like reacting to chat perfectly, but saying that they've got no video or audio. And it's like, mm, <laughs> either you've got either someone's you've got a producer in your ear telling you what's going on <laughs> and you should be working the cots tournament or something or you know or you're just having a laugh with that badge so i think it's an interesting idea they're very prominent very like visually it's very very clear um i noticed today that you have to pick like for your global identity one and for the longest time it was annoying me because i like having my my tick badge you know at first i yeah. felt embarrassed almost having it and then i got used to it and now i'm like i, I you know this is a nice thing because you can go and support people and people uh, appreciate it and recognize and whatever. Um, and and, and it, if nothing else, it helps you stand out in the chat in a way of like, you know, your engagement with communities and people. Um, and uh, it's interesting that you have to choose like, or it seemed, unless I, I could have done it wrong, it is me after all. But it looked like you have to choose that as your like your global identifier badge. So it was like, well, hang on a minute. What if I am watching genuinely or I, you know, I can't listen because I'm on live stream or something, but I go and say hi to you, one of you guys or something, but I can't hear what your response is. That could be a way of telling you, oh, look, he's got audio off or whatever. But yeah. in order to do that, I've got to go and change my global identity badge, which means that there's a higher probability that I'll get missed in the chat when I say something in the first place. So that seems a little bit odd. Yeah. No, there, there needs to be something more there. Uh, the badge system is great, and, and it's a good idea to kind of identify and, and, and show who you are. And I've worked hard for my partner badge, and I'm damn well going to keep it. But I I know that it could be a good way of identifying, like you say, when you pop into somebody's stream while you are streaming yourself or not not necessarily able to, to listen, but you have it on in the background and you, you, you can see stuff happening on, on a different screen to kind of denote that, okay... I'm here, I'm hanging out, but that's, this is why, this is literally why we have the lurk command, a lot of us. So <laughs> yeah. what's, uh, what's your thought there, Stats? What, do you have any ideas? Much, yeah, um, much of the same. Um, uh, you know, if you give someone on the internet a pretty badge, um, they, you know, some of them are going to choose to swap whatever it is they currently have for that, regardless of what it should actually mean. And, you know, this happened to me the other night where a bunch of my viewers, um, I'm not going to call anyone out by name, but a bunch of my viewers had gone in and selected one or other of those badges. And I know full well that they're, you know, both listening and watching because mm. they're literally reacting to things that I'm doing and listening to my voice and answering questions and stuff. And, um, and again, like if you ask them, they'll just say, well, it's there and I can do it. So I have I'm like, okay, fine. Um, but it really devalues what it should be for which is both for accessibility. So if someone is blind and they're just listening to the stream, which is totally something that, that Twitch should be supporting, um, or um, maybe if they're, they're deaf and, and they're not um, 
not listening and they're just watching. Um, because, but then also just simply, I've had someone the other day who was like driving in a car and they're just listening to the cast, to the, um, to the stream. Done that. Um, and they've they typed in chat, like, I'm, I'm not watching, just so you know, I'm not watching. I'm just, um, just listening. And, and it means that you can respond to them differently because if they, if they come in chat then and, and you know that they're not listening or you know that they're not watching, like sometimes people will come into my chat and they'll say hi to me, but I've, I'm on voice with people and they're talking to each other. And so instead of responding vocally, I'll just wave. Yeah. Like, you know, like point at the camera and just wave so they know that I've acknowledged them. And obviously if they've got the no video symbol, then I won't do that. Um, but you can't trust it at the moment because people are just choosing mm -hmm. whatever they like. And so mm -hmm. we, we were talking, you know, before we started about how um, they could automate it in some way um, so that if you if you mute the stream, then you get the you no know, audio badge. I think that might have privacy issues because I don't necessarily want the streamer to know or I don't definitely don't want the audience to know if I've muted mm -hmm. the stream. But maybe it could be like streamer only or something like that. Here's here's an idea that quickly uh, struck me because you, you have with a lot of these uh, these um, uh, gifted subs and so on. You get the option. Do you want to share that you you've just resubbed or something? How about having the option of okay, you click mute, and then going oh you've just clicked mute. Do you want to enable this as a badge? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to um, let the streamer know. Chat. Someone in my chat suggested a more extreme version, which would be um, if you select the no audio badge, it mutes your stream. <laughs> so you you cannot have audio and have the badge. I mean, that, um, that could honestly be a, be an option. Because then people aren't going to do it just for the fun of it, you know? Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I think we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. So, like, where my thinking goes on it was I'd really rather see things, and, and maybe this is just opening the door to this, I'd really rather see things that were a little bit more specific uh it, it like uh, or you know worded and imagery slightly different whatever but give people for example accessibility related uh, things like um you know hearing impaired or um you know colorblind uh, vis uh, vision impaired you know you name it so on and so forth and stats you had a good idea didn't you with the uh, with language yeah it just it occurs to me why we were talking earlier so i'm an ex um, english teacher I taught english for five years and um, so something that I'm very aware, aware of constantly when I'm on the internet interacting with people is that they're not necessarily first language English. And if they're not first language English, they're not necessarily that strong at English. Um, and so I, I try, if I can, during my streams, if I know that someone um, maybe doesn't quite have the level of English that, that some of the other viewers have, I'll try if I can if they ask me a specific question, to just simplify my language a little bit, slow down, talk a little bit more clearly, like I would do if I was teaching. And um, it would be really nice if you could have a voluntary badge that says, like, hey, the language that you are currently using in your stream is not my first language and I'm not very confident with it, um, so that the streamer knows if they want to talk to that person, maybe they just, they just want to talk a little bit more simply um, and help that person understand what they're saying. Because um, particularly with an English language stream, as a first language English streamer, you get a lot of people coming into your stream who are learning English and they're literally there to help with their English learning. Yeah. And I find that really interesting as an English teacher. It's a bit of an edge case, but I think it would be really nice to have a little badge that just says like learning English or, or, or whatever it happens to be. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. I think that's cool because mm -hmm. there's, there's plenty of times where I'm sitting there as you, somebody who streams in, in, in English, but I am Norwegian. I get a lot of Norwegian people in my stream, naturally. But then sometimes they kind of go, uh, can I speak Norwegian here? 
And and if if they were to have that badge letting me know that they're not necessarily that confident while speaking English, I would then go, oh, yeah, sure. Then I'll do the translation. Like, I prefer people speaking English by all means. But if I knew that, if I had that information, I could then go, ah, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's calm down the rules a bit. Let's, let's be a bit more, more welcoming, a bit more open and, and have that conversation because I think that could be good. Mm-hmm. It's also just, it's a really interesting conversation, Sartre, as well, because languages, like I talk about languages and accents and stuff all the time in my stream, because it's just a personal interest of mine. And, um, I think it would just be a really interesting conversation starter as well. Um, mm-hmm. if someone says, Hey, I'm learning English, like, cool. How long have you been learning English? You know? Have you taken formal classes or are you just learning on the internet or whatever it is? And um, I think that would be a really interesting thing to talk about. What, what's mm. your favorite word and why is it spelunking? <laughs> no, 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 no. Spelunking. Turgid. I'm, I'm just turgid. <laughs> My favorite word, turgid. Turgid, that's a good word. Uh, uh, I always like moist, but I think that's partly because mm. of the way people react to it. Um mm. Pineapple. Here's a question for you, Stats. I don't know about second language and then this kind of thing. I don't want to, you know, step on anybody's toes. But is that how you got to know Painzor? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Painzor, I couldn't resist it. Sorry, buddy. It was really interesting. I had um, someone in my stream the other day who was um, who said, I'm, "I'm learning English. I'm not very good yet." Um, and they said they find. Kilobin and Painzor easier to understand than me, which I found really, really interesting. Wow. Um, I can understand Kilobin because Kilobin is very, like, standard English, very clearly spoken. Mm. But, um, yeah, they said they could understand um, Jirak, who's got a very strong... Well, actually, no, not very strong. He's got a... He's has a Scottish accent. You, yeah. you stole my thunder because I was going to say, yeah, what's yeah. <laughs> and, and then and, and Painzor as well. Um, but, but wait. Which is, which is really interesting. So they, they found a big difference between you and Kilobin? Yeah, apparently. Okay, that I find yeah. weird because yeah. you both have a very fairly similar. yeah, fairly similar and, and very distinct diction and and very. <sighs> How do I say this without sounding stupid? Um, it is very close to the Queen's English. Yeah, I, I would say that what so there's no such thing as standard English. No, um, but... but it's commonly referred to as standard English. Yeah. So if you if you speak like you come from Surrey and Kent, basically that's. Um... <laughs> standard english and and yeah it would like but the thing is that's that's not his native accent so he sort of acquired it the same way i've acquired sort of a, a weird accent by studying at different universities and traveling right. around the world like that. um so i i, I occasionally because i live in the west country i live at the bottom of the cotswolds and so i occasionally come out with a, a west country r occasionally come out with an r and um <laughs> And a few Americanisms as well, like um, from my year in the States, like I say gotten and not got. Um, so, um, and when we've both been through that, like I think anyone that goes to university or works abroad or anything like that will, will naturally pick up a different, slightly different accent and different um, ways of talking. Exactly. Um, but generally it makes you easier to understand because it sort of brings you more towards the average, you know? That's true. I always get the, where, where in the States are you from? Or where did you learn your, your English? TV. 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 <laughs> That is literally where I learned how to pronounce my words. But it, it's gotten less uh, less pronounced over the years because of, well, hanging out with a lot of Brits and a lot of Norwegians, oddly, too. And, and suddenly it, it kind of dissipates into my own thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, any other badges? Like, we talked a bit about colorblindness and so on. Like, any other ways we could identify? Could it be? Um, and I know this is a bit of a controversy uh, for some on, on Twitch. 
could it be a thing to identify gender as in he him they them like is is that a thing that could be used for badges how would you do that though because there's so many different ways that people identify themselves yeah not sure if you could encapsulate that in a badge system yeah, no, I, I, I understand. I like conceptually, and then my head almost exploded as I thought that that's twenty five badges away from <laughs> sure. never and then I'm going to get it wrong one day, and it'd be like, oh. I, my, I so I used to be a civil servant until quite recently, and uh, so my brain immediately jumped to like the the official list of fifty nine <laughs> accepted genders or whatever it is right. that we have, and um, I think it, yeah, it's a great idea, but I like I'm not sure how practical it would be. Um, and you know, and if you if you manage to cover the vast majority of what people might identify as, there's always going to be one person who's like, "Hey, that doesn't describe me." Yeah, um, and then they they're going to feel left out. But but so I personally, I think it's safer just not to have anything. Could it then be um, like if if we go the route of badges? Could it be something where you have cis and non cis, so that you know that oh, okay, this is non cis, and then you could go, mm -hmm. go, how do you identify? Or it, maybe they could just have the thing where. Um, I don't know for like for your regulars and whatever, whether you can just, there's a bit of your profile where you can fill in what you want your pronouns to be. Yeah. And so if someone's interested, they can just mouse over your name or click on your name and um, it'll just pop up. Yep. This person wants to be called he, him or whatever. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd be honest. It's not something that's constantly yeah. in your face, but it's just accessible information if you want to know. True. Yeah. Very true. Uh, just um, something like, like hmm. go go oh, so just some... <laughs> the, there you go. Uh, After you. <laughs> the, 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 about the blind one that made me think of that in the first place is that, or visually impaired, whatever, because um, there's a fella in, in that I met through Hula's community. Uh, I think it was LA County or something like that. Um, and he's actually like legally blind. So he types in chat always in uppercase. And everywhere yeah. you go, it takes everyone a while to adjust. And I was like, stop shouting. And he's like, I'm not shouting. This is the only way I can read my text. I'm legally blind. I can send you the certificate. You know? Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, I've, I've had that too. I've had that too. Mm. And, and then as soon as they kind of told me, I was like, ah, okay, fair enough. Then I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I think it'd be cool if you had like a, like it'd take a while to get used to any of these systems, but it'd be pretty cool if you had just that visual clue and people are like about to jump on there. Why is that person shouting? Or if it's like, oh, Hang on, that's that's probably not a thing. Kind of, uh, it'd be that'd be interesting. I again could be you know abused or whatever. I suppose to some degree. Right. But I, I would actually count that with the fact that the Twitch can do that client side, and they have to a certain extent. So now you have some um, some font options. Mm -hmm. So um, that user could instead of typing in all caps, they could actually change all of the font that the chat is presented in, and so mm -hmm. that everyone's is presented in like twenty four point font or whatever. I there are also third-party yeah, ways that you can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not necessarily... The only reason I say this, I, I used to work with um, a lot of accessibility requirements at work, mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of that stuff can be done locally on that person's client to make things easier for them. Mm. Just had a, a tiny bit of a, a robot moment there as you as you talked, but I, I think we caught that. Mm. Do you need me to repeat? Mm, no, I think we're good. No, not important. It's fine. I think um, we're good. I, think I was just good. saying that they could they could do it um, using their browser settings essentially, yeah. or the the native Twitch settings for fonts. Yeah, I, I just feel like this is something that should be available through Twitch and not necessarily have to go third party. Uh, I, I feel yeah, that's there's, there's no reason why other viewers need to see that. No, no, no. By all means, it isn't. Uh, speaking of people shouting. Uh, and and getting excited, 
uh, and, uh, and knowing stuff about others. We are now moving swiftly along to know your role. Uh, <laughs> would, would, I, I think this has become the role-playing segment. I think we're, we're permanently calling this know your role for some strange mm. reason. It needs a jingle. It does need a jingle. <laughs> Grumbles, get on that. <laughs> for next know time. your role. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for know your role. Yeah, honestly, we should have something. We, we should... We should have something for all of these little bits uh, for people to know that we're, we're we're rolling into something new um we are all avid role players uh, and in fact i am currently planning and plotting a, a a new little thing for uh four players and and multiple times when we've talked about role playing and such i know stats has slid into my dms and said "Ooh, i like this thing and and when I first time approached you and asked if you might want to be part of the of the, of the podcast, you said, "Ah, yes, I have a lot to talk about." So, mm-hmm. and and from that, I know I know that you are interested in role playing games, and I I just kind of want to ask you first, like, what's what's your uh, what was your first experience with uh, role playing games? Oh man, so this is going to be such a trip down memory lane. So for me, I associate role playing with my teenage years. Um, I haven't really done that much role playing as an adult, um, but I spent so from the age of eleven through to eighteen when I went to university and a little bit into university as well. Um, I was role playing constantly. So I was very lucky to fall into um, a group of friends who just became completely besotted with role playing and. Um, we were fortunate to go to a very nice school with some very supportive teachers um, who let us do it as an after-school club and all this kind of stuff. And so my first experience of role-playing was actually on a school trip. We we went to, I think I can't remember if I was 11 or 12, but around that age. And we went on a school trip to France. And to get to France from England, we went on the ferry. And it was quite a long crossing, like the, the longer crossing over to the northwest. And so we were on the ferry for a few hours. And um, one of my friends just, he hadn't told us, he just got out of his backpack an original print um dungeons and dragons starter box Ooh. so like the re- i can't remember, I don't know what year it was but like this like late 60s early 70s something like that it was his dad's and his dad apparently had just given it to him like maybe this is something to do on the journey son and um so he you know he just like calls over his his best mates and we all sit around one of the tables in the um, cafeteria and he plumps this this red box down and opens it up and you know, like a magical world of of wonder and mystery spilled out onto the table all these little character cards and and pencils and and pencil erasers and dice and um and from that point on we were all just completely addicted <laughs> and that just consumed our you know evenings and weekends and summers for the next few years and um so we started out with Dungeons and Dragons original edition Dungeons and Dragons um literally the starter box that covers like levels 1 to 4 or whatever with a very very basic rule set mm. But then we kind of, from there, we kind of went on to um, Games Workshop stuff. So we left Dungeons & Dragons behind for a little while. And we discovered the first thing that we we played was Hero Quest, which was a very simple board game. So it's just a, a non-expanding board that just sits in the middle of the table and it has set rooms on it. And you play a little character and it's basically like a card and dice game. Um, no role playing, really. It's just a card game. Mm. Um, and then from there we went on to Advanced Hero Quest, where the board is made up of little tiles that you lay kind of randomly, and it makes up a dungeon. And from there 
we naturally progressed into back into Dungeons and Dragons as a proper role playing game um, by the time we were about thirteen, um, and um, and then a bunch of us also split off and did some live action role playing. So um, I lived um, in South London, and fortunately, there was within about an hour uh, bus ride there was a place in Chislehurst in Kent um, called Labyrinth. It's actually still there, and um, they were. A, um, a live-action role-playing company based in Chislehurst Caves, which is a massive man-made cave system that was partially uh, dug out by the Druids thousands of years ago, and then more recently dug out as an air raid shelter during the Second World War. And it's just this huge, huge, like mind-bogglingly huge complex of caves. And um, But it's all just tunnels, because it's all man-made. Um, so there's no like there's no dangerous stuff down there, really. It's all flat. It's like like a railway tunnel, basically. Hmm. Um, but like a, a total maze of left and right turns. And so a bunch of us, like five or six of us, would spend some of our weekends down there, um, Saturday and Sunday, like nine hours underground, no lighting of any kind, complete pitch black most of the time, <laughs> doing doing live action role playing um, on top of that. And, and so, yeah, I just have such fond memories of uh, of some of my some of my friends and their characters um, it's kind of hard to separate in my brain whether I'm whether I miss my friends most fondly or whether I miss their characters most fondly. Um, and I can still even you know even this many years later, because um, that was like twenty five years ago, I can still still tell stories. Like I could still tell you stories about the characters and what they got up to, and um, remember that time when and all that kind of stuff. And and this stuff really sticks with you. And I think for for kids, it's really really good stuff. Because um, you're sitting around interacting socially. There's no, well, at least the, when I was playing, which is something I want to talk about, the, there was no technology involved. It's all pen and paper. Mm. And, um, you know, you're learning social skills. You're learning problem solving. You're learning creativity if you're the DM. Because um, you're learning about writing, um, authoring, publishing. Um, and, um, you know, the creativity that goes into those kind of things. Like, people don't realize that creating a campaign, it's like writing a novel. It is. Like, it's that kind of level of complexity. Um, and, you know, playing a character is almost as complicated in terms of working out how is this character going to react to this thing? Because it shouldn't be the way that I would react to it, necessarily. Um, and how do you do that in a way? Like, so, for example, one of the most difficult things is how do you play a character that has some uh, character flaw without it being really divisive. So yeah. if you want to play a character that's like chaotic good, for example, in D&D terms, they're going to do things occasionally which are a little bit edgy, a little bit people don't quite like it. And and doing that without breaking the group up and turning the other players against you is quite difficult. Because, um, you know, you, you might have like a lawful good paladin or something in the in the group who just always wants to do the right thing in, in their terms, mm -hmm. um, which is going to be the legal thing. Um, and, but maybe like the chaotic good character wants to steal from the rich to give to the poor kind of thing. Mm. And, and, you, and it creates some really interesting dynamics with these players trying to work out how their characters are going to react to it, but in a way that's not going to break up the group. This is why I generally don't, uh, don't allow evil being played mm -hmm. because most people in, in our daily minds and how we are, we are either neutral good or lawful good that is that is our general way of being humans i i would i would venture out and say that about 90 percent of humans are in there and then you have certain people that that tend to go other directions but 
that the the playing of an evil character is so hard, and it and it it's that divisiveness that you talked about. It is. The only way I haven't seen it work properly is um, with so so with like someone coming in um, not as a full time player, but as sort of a played NPC essentially, mm. where they're there as a spy. So like you find out that, that someone at school also does role playing in a different group, and you're like, hey, would you like to come and like play a few sessions with us one day? And the DM comes up with a really creative way of bringing them in for a few sessions. Mm. And the way that I've seen it work really well is um, a player was brought in as a spy. Um, and so this player is sitting pretending that they are a member of the group. And of course, everyone, all the players know what's going on. But of course, the characters don't. Mm. And um, and so this player is uh, playing this not evil character, but, but someone who has a, an agenda mm. that's not in the best interest of the group. And so they're passing notes backwards and forwards to the DM saying what their character is doing, because, of course, they can't say it out loud. Yeah. Um, and so they're passing notes backwards and forwards saying, I'm going to steal the, the document or I'm going to, like, sabotage their kit or whatever it is. Um, and, and there's this fantastic dynamic going on until eventually the characters um, discover the, the treachery and, and uh, they have a big fight. Enter dramatic and, fanfare um, here. Da, da, yeah. da. But, it, but it works because that player can then go back to their own group. Yeah. No, that 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 is one of the, the very few ways I've also seen that be able to do it. So that's, um, but it's not something you can have there be part of an entire campaign. That is so hard. What is your most recent role playing um, experience? Quite a long time ago, honestly. Um, it was probably around the like I'd graduated from university, but I was still like hanging around working. But I had a bunch of friends who were students, and um, a few of them had a had a LARPing group. But you're still talking like f- 15 years ago or more, um, and I haven't done it since then. So I've got a bit of a I've got a bit of an itch because I've been watching um, not to fangirl, but I've been watching <laughs> Grumbles um, uh, play Skinny Pete. Um, he's called Skinny Pete. He doesn't know why, and. Um, and that's kind of rekindled my my love of role playing, and I've really enjoyed watching all the dark side stuff in Atlas recently. Um, not not just Grumbles, but um, but some of the other streamers as well, who I've met through um, through Grumbles' channel, and and being able to follow an event like that from multiple angles through multiple characters' eyes, um, and see the way that the streamers or the, the players are um, sort of deciding, because because quite it's quite natural for the streamers to talk out of character about what their character is doing and why and it's really interesting to get the insights from multiple angles and it's really interesting to see a character who you've watched be played through the Mm -hmm. eyes of the streamer from the other side of the the lens if you like through a different streamer's camera yeah you see them all because because all you see is the character then yeah and and um i've just thoroughly enjoyed it it's it's been my um my daytime tv for the last few weeks and um yeah it's just totally rekindled my my love and interest of of role playing speaking of which i i must say that tiger of the steps is uh, very yeah. uh, very much um uh, inspired by a certain ivan <laughs> oh good old ivan yeah. he gets everywhere yeah no, it's, it's, it's really interesting though Watch, watching v rising watching grumbles play for you rising this last week um that you can you know it doesn't have to be like a traditional role-playing game um to to add an element of role-playing into it no it can still be still be role-playing but be pretty light and i think you know a, a game like v rising where it's just like this top-down isometric view and you're kind of running around clicking things um it can still work from a role-playing point of view which is really interesting it's, a, it's sort of a testament to 
to the players that are doing it um that they're that adaptable i i i know i've asked grumbles about this and i can't remember if i asked you stats but the the thing i'm writing for jarek mari jetty and dante um could i interest you in being a guest once yes cool and that's all we're gonna say about it <laughs> yeah absolutely i'd, I'd be uh, very excited so we're, we're talking uh 3.5 by the way so we're going old school cool so i thought i'd played three because so i was having a discussion about this yesterday with someone um yeah. i thought that the version that i played when i was in school was 3.5 but i looked up the dates and it's impossible that it was 3.5 um, because that was introduced after I left school. Um, so what I was playing, because I looked up the books, I'm like, oh yeah, no, those are the books that I had, is actually AD&D version 2 Ooh. was the version I was playing. Okay. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a very different system. Yeah. Well, not very different, um, but it's, it's different enough. What's even more interesting is how much the books sell for. Yes! Holy shit! <laughs> the Like, get, like, the... the 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 dungeon the official AD&D version two dungeon masters screen it's a bit of cardboard with two creases in it fifty dollars <laughs> yeah and if, if you have what? mint condition books out there oh my yeah. god you can you can make a whole heap of money it yeah, is insane if you've got some stored away somewhere yeah. now's the time seriously they go for a fortune so Tiger love this I just workshopped a little joke oh no yeah lean yeah. on me well you know it's not a bad bit of <laughs> That's not a bad bit of folding for a couple of creases. <sighs> Come on, that's yeah. pretty good. You know what? Yeah. In, in in grumble standards, that's actually pretty good. I'll, I'll wow. give you that one. Okay. I'll give right. I'll give you that one. But get out. <laughs> <laughs> now I can picture stats as little emo going, "Get out!" Yeah, I'm literally doing it right now, like live. <laughs> I think we're coming to a natural point where we can start to uh, to taper off towards the end. Mm. Uh, because we have literally been recording for two hours and 42. So this this might have to be one main episode and then with a little bit of a bonus content or we roll it into one big one. We'll see. Uh, but there are three questions I want to ask you before we move on to something to smile about. And, and the first one is, given the choice of anyone in the world... Who would you want to have as your dinner guest, and why? They have to be alive. Eh, let's expand it. Let's let's go with with dead too. Okay. So there are two, and I I, I hmm, I'm not sure. So I were one person who who has been an inspiration to me, and unfortunately I only discovered him after he passed away. Um, is Christopher Hitchens? Um, he was a journalist. He was born in the UK and then naturalized as a US citizen. And he covered a lot of geopolitical stuff, but his main thing was um, talking about and campaigning about how religion is affecting the American government. And um, and I've read a lot of his stuff. He writes so... I can't think of anyone else who has an ability to um, put information together and just simply recall information and then put it together into a cogent argument. And, and some of his books are just incredible to read. And... Um, so, like, for example, he did, he wrote a book about Mother Teresa that's really, really interesting. Um, so, so him, I would love to have a conversation with with him. He tragically passed away from cancer um, a few years ago. But the, my my the choice that probably trumps that is Commander Chris Hadfield, oh. who is um, Canadian um, astronaut 
who was the commander of ISS, and he also did some shuttle missions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, he's just an incredible guy. Um, his autobiography, I highly recommend his autobiography. It talks about his um, rise up through the ranks of the Canadian Air Force and then going into NASA and becoming an astronaut. Um, and a very, very easy to read book, um, but but has some very interesting insights that only an astronaut can really give you. Um, and so, yeah, it would be him. I actually had an opportunity to meet him once, but unfortunately I was ill on the day that the conference was happening. No! So I, I couldn't go. I was gutted. I was absolutely gutted, but there's no way I could have gone. Oh, two um, strong choices there. Wow, yeah? Yeah, Chris, Chris Hadfield. Interesting, interesting. And the, the second one here that kind of throws people through a loop whenever I ask this, um, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one quality or ability, what would that be and why? Okay. So while we've, while we've been talking, I've actually been making some notes. <laughs> so I think it comes down to th one of three. Let me just run through what those three are quickly. So one is, uh, so I've gone for two classic ones. Mm -hmm. One is the ability to go invisible at will. Just because I think that would be kind of cool occasionally. Just like go and go and go into a meeting room that you shouldn't be in. Spy on <laughs> like, go and watch what celebrities are up to. I don't know, whatever. Like you could you could get into some really interesting situations if you're invisible. Um, another one would be just the classic, which would be flying. Mm. Um, so I, I've learned to lucid dream a little bit. Oh. A um, bit of a mission of mine because I... Um, so I, I've never really been able to remember dreams my whole life. And so I just decided one day, because I was reading about lucid dreaming, I was like, hey, that would, that would be a cool thing to aim for. And so um, I, I was like, right, I'm going to learn to lucid dream. But the first step of learning to lucid dream is learning to dream. <laughs> so mm. I had to learn to remember my dreams, which you can totally do. And, then, and that kind of unlocked it. And then I learned to lucid dream, which is a really interesting experience. And my first lucid dream was um, of flying. Um, oh. and, and it, it's, it was an incredible experience. And it, I think you should think it would be amazing to have that experience in real life. Um, and just can you imagine if you're just like, right, I'm going to go to Spain and just, just fly to Spain. You don't need any air tickets. Presumably you'd need a passport <laughs> if they figured out what you were doing. But um, it'd just be really cool to just go anywhere you like. Yeah. Um, presumably quite quickly. Kind of suck if you were flying at like one mile an hour. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I think we had that conversation with Rab, actually. I just remembered, I think we did have the conversation with Rab. But the third one, which is a bit, one I haven't heard people say, is... Just the ability to roll back time of a few seconds, a few minutes with the foresight or the hindsight of what just happened. So like, it could be as simple as like, I walked into my bedroom and I broke my toe on my bed, as I do quite often, because um, <laughs> it sticks out. The ability to just click my fingers, go back 30 seconds and then not hit the bed. Ooh. Or like, you know, you're at a party and you just say something inappropriate because you've had a couple of beers and yeah. like just fingers and go back and don't say that thing <laughs> or, or like tell someone something that you wish you told them or just something really simple like that just click your fingers roll back the clock a little bit and and be able to just do that little not like your whole life just one little situation do it again i think mm. that would be a, a really handy but non-destructive power okay yeah no, I, I can see that okay I like that. yeah no that, that's very nice so I, go with, I would go with that one okay no, no, that's, that's a very nice one. I, I, I think a lot of people probably think, ah, oh, controlled time, but they think in a much grander scale. But I, yeah. honestly, when you said that thing about stubbing your toe, I'm like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm right there with you, right on that one. Yep. So, it, but here's the thing, right? Because I love that as well. Mm -hmm. But like, what do you remember of it? So you remember it distinctly. Happening. Yeah. 
that phantom. Yeah. <laughs> you could actually have some sort of mental yeah. breakdown because you, you could back into the room and you're like, oh no, don't do it. So, so what gave me the idea for that is actually I love this isn't a plug because I'm not sponsored in any way. I love Audible. And I listen to a lot of Audible courses while I'm walking the dog. And I've just done a course on metaphysics. Mm-hmm. And that that stuff will that break your head, that will. Yeah. Thinking <laughs> about like time loops and can you go back and kill your grandfather and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so, yeah, you'd have to think about like, how, okay, what would I actually know? <laughs> and, and what the really interesting thing is, if I snap my fingers and I go, and I'm, so I'm back outside my bedroom, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm going to walk in and stub my toe, yeah. is it actually possible for me to walk into the bedroom without stubbing my toe? Even exactly. if I know it's going to happen. But <laughs> <laughs> do you like smack your head on the lampshade mm. or something? No, because you're so busy, you're staring intently exactly. at the bed. Like I must have, I must avoid the bed and then you trip over the dog and do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that you do. Imagine, sorry, I'm just thinking about it. You've just stuffed your toe. It's really painful. And then you, you get over it and you snap your fingers, right? And you go back. But you walk into, and there's somebody like, you know, your partner, whatever's in there. Yeah. And you walk into the room with this really weird, fearful, fearful but also like the remembering the pain kind of scrunched up face and like maybe a bit of a tear running out the corner of your face and they just look at you like what's, what's wrong, wrong with you <laughs> stop my toe no you didn't <laughs> i will do i would have done i don't know how to i don't have a tense for this i, I will would have done i don't know <laughs> oh, yeah, we need a whole new we don't need a whole new grammar system oh no yeah. No, please don't. Like, there's enough confusing grammar out there. I'm relearning German, by the way. Um, so yeah, no, let's not. Last question of the three of let's get to know part of Statsploke that probably hasn't been on stream or anything before. Is there something that you've dreamt of doing for a long time? And if so, why haven't you just done it? Um, so... <laughs> So this this is actually something that I've talked about on stream before, but mm. um, like the big thing for me at the moment is I really want to get into voiceover. I want to get into, I don't know exactly what aspect of it, because <clears throat> there's voice acting, there's like um, commercial stuff where you're just like talking over commercial videos, doing advertising. It could be like training, um, any kind of stuff, because um, I just, I, got, I don't know why, I just got into watching YouTube videos about um, audio equipment when I was sort of researching what to do in terms of a streaming setup. Mm. And that kind of led me to a couple of guys who do um, do voiceover because they tend to be very knowledgeable about audio. Mm. And um, it just really got me interested in the whole profession. Um, and on top of that, I've had a, over the years of streaming, I've had a whole bunch of people come into my channel, it happens fairly regularly, saying, oh, you should do voiceover. And um, and like one day I was like, maybe I will. And so <laughs> I've just had this idea of getting into it. And um, But the problem is that it's it's a very it's like getting into acting like it's a really really hard thing to get into Mm. um uh, but the basic first step that i that's required is i have to build a um an audio environment inside my house which is not my house i rent this house um that enables me to do quality recordings because my streaming setup is not good enough to do voiceover um because i'm using digital filtering and that kind of stuff Mm. um and so I, it requires me to do some carpentry, basically. I'm the son of a carpenter. I can do carpentry. Um, but the problem is, I am the world's worst procrastinator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. So I would, I would prob. Mm, the only, the only reason that I eat meals is because a, I like eating, 
and B, I would die if I didn't. <laughs> like I'm, I'm that kind of I'm that kind of bad at procrastinating. Like if I don't have to do something, yeah. I won't do it. I'm right. terrible. And so um, yeah, I've, I've got it at some point. I've got it's, I've, I'm very like manana. Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. Okay. I like yeah. So so that's that's the thing, right? And um, so yeah, I, I need to build a little audio booth out of wood and insulation and uh, just get the f on with it. But um, that is my current project at least mentally you heard it here uh, dear listeners if you uh if you really want Stasplog to get into voiceover projects then uh, support his dream and uh you know come around my house and build my booth for me or that if, if, <laughs> by all means if you have somebody close by uh you can send your email to statsbloke at bloke.com no don't do that <laughs> oh, that's no, no, you, I will do it. Just nag me. No, seriously, nag me. Have you? Um, I don't know if this is any good. This is a few years ago, but have you heard or seen on YouTube a guy called Booth Junkie? Yeah, no. So seriously, so he's the guy, Mike Del Audio. Oh, he's oh there the you guy. go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's the guy so that I was going to recommend that if you yeah. hadn't bumped into him already because he's, he's awesome. great. I've I've actually exchanged uh, emails with him. He's, he's so, a really, yeah, oh, really, really nice that's guy. super cool. Yeah. So have you watched yeah. this 2016 video called a voiceover vocal booth in 10 minutes for free? <laughs> I, I have. <laughs> I actually rewatched precisely that video yesterday, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he does that because he, he's on the road quite a lot and he'll go into like a, a bed and breakfast or a, um, yeah. you know, a rented apartment or something. Yeah. And uh, he'll, like, he'll be sent an audition, which you have to reply to immediately. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, oh, crap i need an audio booth and he'll get like the sofa cushions and the mm -hmm. bed comforter and and make a um make an audio booth in the wardrobe um which is fine it's all, all fine but um it's no good as a permanent setup so mm. um, and i have done that kind of stuff so i did um something for um oh man what's his name I'm terrible at remembering names that I've had. Um, a guy in the world of warships community who makes like artistic videos he makes his own ship models and um Mm -hmm. And, and um, oh, uh, he, uh, space pick, space pick yeah. shovel. Yeah, 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 there you go. So I voiceovered one of his Christmas videos, um, and I did that that way. I, I used my airing cupboard, and I got a bunch of duvets and pillows. And <laughs> um, but it, you know, it's not something that's permanent. So I need to, I need to get a permanent solution. <laughs> well, there you go. Airing soon on an Audible podcast near you. Hopefully. So what what I want to see is I want to or I want to hear about is. Stats go walking his dog, listening to an audible that he's done myself. about metaphysics and what tenses to use when you're able to bend time. <laughs> we're talking some inception level shit yeah, right exactly. here. <laughs> we're into the, the audio equivalent what, of inception. What will I would have said? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And then he stubs his toe on a fence because he wasn't looking where he was walking. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I fell over a wall once walking the dog. <laughs> I feel like seriously, that no, 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 means its own I was episode. No, 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 no. How? I was listening to it. I was listening to an audible course about physics, like particle physics, like serious <laughs> stuff. And I, I, it was dark. I was, it was nighttime walk, winter. And I just wasn't watching where I was going. And it, where I live in the West Country, we have lots of little stone walls that are like, yeah. you know, like like 20 centimeters, 30 centimeters high. It just fell over it. Just like <laughs> totally like poof, straight over. Yeah. Meanwhile, like some physicist is talking in my ear about like gluons. Yeah. <laughs> and Macy just doesn't care. Like, what? No, what no. She came. She, she probably came and sat on me or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lovely image for you. 
Yeah. So, moving on to the last segment of uh, of this podcast, something to smile about. It has become a staple in uh, in, in the podcast, and 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 people keep bringing more stuff for us to smile about, and and I absolutely love it. We do not have viewer slash listener input this time, um, but I'd like to just jump in on mine very quickly because it's not very long. But I I recently started a new job as community manager for Cora here in Norway, and uh, as part of that, I am encouraged to share posts and share questions that pop up on the platform. But I made like you you have something in there called spaces or rooms. And I made my own space where I share stuff that makes me smile. And it's inspired simply because of this podcast and what we do here, because there's there's always something that pops up. And in a world that is so much focused on on the latest variant of, of COVID or uh, what they're called, uh, the monkey pox or whatever, I, I don't know what they're called, uh, but the, certain geopolitical events and, and so on, like being able to share something to smile about to to people is uh, something I look forward to every single week and every single podcast. So, yeah, that's mine. That's really cool. And uh, stats, how about you? So um, this is this is like I, I've been a fan of this podcast for a long time. I've been listening since episode one. And I've always been thinking to myself, like, what would I say? <laughs> um so it's a big moment for me and so i've gone with um something really weird so i'm gonna say smells um smells. but specifically smells okay. but specifically um so i live in the countryside so i'm surrounded by farms um like it's it's a bit of a like small town but um like it's generally the whole region is just farms and um so there's a lot of smells going around because it's farmland mm-hmm. but this time of year like at the beginning of the summer You've got the smells of um, people's gardens, because there's a lot of farmhouses that have these beautiful, like, uh. kitchen gardens, basically. So they've got, like, the roses are starting to flower, and they've got, like, honeysuckle, and um, there's, do you know what ramsons are? Mm. Like, wild garlic, basically. Yeah. Um, so the woods here are full of ramsons. Oh. Um, so the whole place just stinks of garlic at the moment. Um, and then, like, the farmers start doing things, like, they're fertilizing the fields, which, um, has this sort of really earthy smell. Um, and then the crops start growing, and you get, like, the smell of the, the rapeseed, or, you know, whatever it is they're growing. But particularly at night time. So I walk the dog usually at night time, um, after I stream. And at this time of year, it's starting to get quite warm at night time. It doesn't get, doesn't get as cold as it usually does. And maybe there'll be a little breeze. And because it's nighttime and it's dark, and when I walk, because I know the walks really well, mm. I like to rely on my night vision. So, um, and when it's dark, I think your other senses kind of come alive a little bit more, yeah. and you're a bit more aware of what what you're hearing and what you're smelling. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I just love like walking around the farmland here, and just smell like th- these smells just drift across your nose, and um, it's very evocative because you can imagine like what you're smelling. So you sm- you walk past a kitchen garden, you can't see it, but you can smell it. And so you're imagining all these really pretty little flower beds, and um, um, or you can smell the hay bales in the next field and things like that. And I used to have a convertible car, and so one of my favorite things to do in this convertible car was to go out driving at nighttime with the hit- with the the roof down, um, and just soak up all these smells that are going past you. Um, it's just such a it's a very uh, like it's a very meditative thing to do. It's a very yeah. mindful thing to do just to sort of let your mind 
focus on something you don't normally focus on. Um, and so, like, walking the, and consequently walking the dog is one of my favorite times of day because I'm listening to an audiobook and I'm, like, walking along smelling things. And it's just a lovely time of day. Mm. I like and that. Occasionally stumbling over a wall. And occasionally stumbling <laughs> over a wall, which don't smell of anything. Yeah. <laughs> which might be way off all over them because yeah, I can't see, smell. See, there you them. go. Yeah. There you go. Makes make make walls smell again or something. I don't know exactly. Yeah, but Grumbles has a double barrel for us today. I do. I do. Yeah. What's your double? So uh, one's a little one that I just happened to pick up on uh, this morning by pure coincidence. Um, so we know geopolitical stuff and and all that and and how that's had impacts and lots of different ways and you see how it affects like ordinary people. Uh, you know, uh, so an example is um, Jean-Claude Van Schott, who I'm sure we all know. Mm. Uh, lovely fella, fun streamer, War Thunder and a few other things to boot. Um, but that's what he's most known for. And uh, he's been demonetized by Twitch because of the sanctions or whatever, however you want to call it. That's what he calls it. So not going to get into all of the ins and outs of that. Um, but it's kind of like, oh, goodness, well, what do you do? So he's got, you know, uh, donation links and, and ways that you can support and whatnot. But, you know, having to work all of a sudden losing as a full-time streamer, you know, your entire livelihood and all the rest of it all, all at once because of sanctions. And it's like obviously nothing that Jean's done, right? I mm. mean, um, uh, but it, it, the, the little thing was um, uh, he, uh, he's got some merch and everything. And I was watching Wingling Dragon. I've not been able to hang out there for a, a while staying away from war thunder and all those kind of things and uh, and time zones and all the rest of it and then just saw wing on went to catch up with him saying hello chatting and i just noticed that he was wearing a jean claude uh, t-shirt i was like that's hey, pretty cool that this is, is a really nice. nice way for one like cc and 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 cool member of the community to show love and support for another you know especially in these difficult times and instead of being like oh you know getting caught up in any of the other you know shenanigans whatever's going on in the world just just literally showing support and and i thought that was a really nice thing so that made me smile um and uh the other one was uh stats mentioned it earlier uh and uh there's been several people um and it's just about my experiences with role playing this time around and getting back into the dark side but specifically that um quite a lot of people have, have uh said things that I, I, I'm, you know, just really complimentary and and just really warm, warm my heart. And because you can feel vulnerable as a role player, I'm sure you guys can attest to that as well. And you're not quite sure. And then doing that to an audience, a live audience, all the time and everything. And we've had people, uh, like Stat said, you know, daytime TV, and a few other people have said things like, "Yeah, cancel your Netflix subscription and just go and watch uh, this role play." And mm. um, it's just really nice. Like it's kind of like one of the best compliments you can get, you know, because I'm not in any way trained or uh, whatever in any of this stuff, and I'm really came relatively late to it as well. So I have a super amount of fun of it, and have people basically, you know, sort of critique or compliment you in that way. It feels uh, really kind of heartwarming. So thank you to those who said those comments and know that the, how much that means to me and obviously to all the other role players. Like Stats was saying, it's really nice to introduce uh, communities and people to other role players and, you know, shouting them out, rating them and just role playing with them and showing people, you know, what they can do. It's a nice way to get to lots of people recognized. Definitely. Definitely. And I can fully support uh, the, the claims made by people after starting my full-time job. Being able to just kind of have a, a familiar voice and uh, 
shape of skinny Pete that doesn't know why uh, <laughs> is very nice. It is very nice and very soothing. And then also several times I find myself kind of just sitting there looking over at that screen going, wait, I have to work. Uh, this is shit. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and instead of getting caught up in the role play and the shenanigans you get, get into. I've lost days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> days. <laughs> and that is a major exactly that. credit. Like, I'll sit down, I'll put it on the side screen, and I'll, I'll do something else like while I'm listening and watching. Nope. And, nope. It's so absorbing. And it's such a major credit <laughs> to Grumbles and the rest of the Dark Side RP community to be able to, to draw people in like that. It is, yeah, you, it is massive. You can't do it without everyone being there. It's, uh, no. it's an all or nothing immersive experience. It's really good, though. So, yeah. Well, I would like to, just for legal reasons, I would mm -hmm. like to just uh, formally apologize uh, to any employers out there who feel like <laughs> not getting their money's worth <laughs> for the last nine weeks. Uh, there's going to be a short break, mid-season break coming up. So uh, get your work you <laughs> can. <laughs> this has been an absolutely fantastic episode of Exit to Port. Season two, episode five uh, is, uh, is is coming to a close. And without further ado, thank you, Statsbloke, for joining us. It's been great to have you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you to Grumbles for being here uh, as per usual. Thank you both. And uh, without further ado, it's goodbye from me, Stats, and Grumbles. And we will see you guys. Well, we hear you guys. Well, you'll hear us. How do I? How do I ever do these outros? I don't remember. I don't know. I think you, just you, you will would have heard them. <laughs> just, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you will would have heard them, and we'll see you guys in the next exit. Goodbye. <laughs>